You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and Power Athlete founder John Wellborn as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Now with the warm-up done, let the gains begin. Power Athlete Radio listeners, staying with the theme of strong guests, today we have Mark Bell. Mark is an inventor, podcaster, bodybuilder, powerlifter, and new runner. He is the true definition of a renaissance man who's never let his appearance or his passions define him. He is the founder of Super Training Products, Inc., and the inventor of the Slingshot. This is a long overdue guest on Power Athlete Radio, but one I wanted to do in person, and it was well worth the wait. As the Stoics say, patience is a virtue that's essential for living a good life. Buckle up and strap in for Mark Smelly Bell. Dude, thanks for coming on the podcast. I feel like we're well overdue. I know. It's been a long time. You said what it was episode 60 of your podcast. Yeah. And I'm, uh, which was what, eight, nine years ago? Yeah. And that was of my first uh, run at podcasting. And that was, um, we have three, 400, maybe 500 episodes of that. And now we're on a thousand of these new ones with my new crew. How, so, how many a week do you guys do? Uh, we do at least three or four. Wow. Yeah. We're Shit. Crank, we're crank, cranking on them all the time. So basically professional podcasters. Professional podcasters, yeah. It's been a lot of fun. This week, uh, I got to visit with uh, Nick Bear. Mm-hmm. had an opportunity to run with him um, and also podcast with him. Uh, Zach Bitter, uh, I got a chance to run with him. And then Tom Segura, I got a chance to lift with him and podcast with him. So And tell jokes. It's great It's great to be down here in Austin, Texas. No, you know, he said it was too hard. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, imagine that. Imagine like, you, you know, uh, I think, you know, once you get a reputation going as a comedian, then it's probably kind of nice. People are already like expecting to laugh, but when you're working for those first laughs, it's got to be that's got to be a tough gig. I think uh, what was it? Will Ferrell said that uh, everywhere he goes, people expect him to be funny. Mm-hmm. So his way of being funny is not being funny, right? So I always wonder with these comics if like people know who they are. You know, they they're like waiting for him to drop some something, and he just ends up not doing it. And they're like, "Fuck, that's got to be gratifying." It seems like a hard skill to learn. And you got to do it on stage in front of people, you know. Well, have you ever seen how many opportunities they have to do it? Um, did you guys go to get to go to Rogan's Mothership? I, I haven't been there yet. No. So one of the guys that works with us, uh, Arash, he um, works security and does some stuff for him. So we got a chance to go, and it's interesting to hear. Uh, like I, I saw Rogan during uh, lockdown. Mm-hmm. He and Dave Chappelle had their deal at. Uh, I saw some of that too. Yeah. Stubbs Barbecue, and. I saw what he was working on and then I saw the special that he was worth that he ended up doing and it was night and day better. Mm-hmm. And then I watched him get up and he's, you know, in rare form, right. uh, you know, was killing it. And I guess he gets up and this is his deal and they just keep rehearsing until it's super sharp. Practice, practice, right? Over and over again. Yeah. And they, they get to the point where they just know exactly where the laughs are coming and how to play it and that. And I like, I really appreciate their craft. I think as long as someone stays interested in something, they can keep at it. You know, I think, uh, once you start losing interest or you feel like you're doing it for some other reason, um, I think that's where you get in trouble. And I think that's where you get kind of lazy and then maybe you don't like your job as much or maybe you're jealous of other people and start to resent things. All kinds of things kind of go sideways from, from there. Mm-hmm. Do you think that happens in the strength conditioning world? <clears throat> you know, uh, yeah, I, I think that in, um, in strength and conditioning, I think we've seen um, so many uh, – so many things come and go and they're like so many changes over the years. Um, and I asked you kind of bluntly earlier, like, you know, are we making athletes better? And I think you appropriately answered it by saying, yeah, some, some people are. And I agree with that. And I think that 
we're starting to see more athleticism being just part of gym culture, which I think is awesome. Yeah, There's a I lot agree. of people out there that uh, aren't moving well or they're in tons of pain. Um, a lot of my old friends that haven't evolved and kind of moved on, like they still love the heavy lifting for some reason. Maybe they're addicted to it. They just can't stop. And they, they, uh, they haven't taken an opportunity to just do like just movements that are just a tiny bit different. And it doesn't mean that you have to stop the movements that you love forever, but it might be good to pump the brakes for a little while. And uh, the whole point of working out and the whole point of strength and conditioning, in my opinion, uh, is to feel better, is to look better and be able to perform better. And I think mo a lot of times we think that a workout has to be an input that is so difficult that it is uh, – it doesn't make you feel good. It leave you leave the gym much weaker than when you arrived, and uh, it also might pull on you uh, in other times throughout the week. So uh, you have an interesting kind of journey in this deal, and that um, you know what I know in terms of you know, kind of getting into the wrestling, and then going to you know West Side, and then powerlifting, and then you know obviously the you know uh, the infamous deal where you fell with a whole bunch of weight on your back yeah. and end up you know deciding that maybe isn't this the thing that I should be doing. And then you moved into, you know, bodybuilding and getting in shape. And then all of a sudden now you're out running. Right. Talk about like a, a fucking transformation, a mm. spectrum to cover. I mean, how, why, like, how did you get here? Was it just this idea of constantly evolving? And now, you know, I mean, cause, cause really the big change came with the bodybuilding. Uh, yeah, it's a hundred percent. I think, uh, I think standing still is, uh, something you got to be really careful of or staying in the same uh, spot as you were. And I think as uh, flawed people in general, I think that we have a tendency to like self-sabotage ourselves. And there's some piece of you that probably wants to stay the same. Um, could be a protective mechanism. Oh, I'm a, I'm a football player. And then you're a former football player. And it's like, how long you say you're a former football player? Maybe there's something new if that you could have moved on to. And now you, um, you don't even have to take on the identity of your job or the thing that you do, but uh, sometimes it is a representation of kind of who you are and what you do and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, for me, it's just a matter of uh, how do I not look, how do I not get myself, how do I keep moving and not get stuck? You know, I've always kind of looked at that as like, I don't want to be stuck doing the same thing. I want to, I want to, I want to see something before <clears throat> I want to identify something ahead of time. And then make a decision uh, to to start to do some things differently, to start to think differently, start to be a little bit more open minded. And that's kind of what set me down the path was I've seen a lot of friends in powerlifting. You know, I squatted over a thousand pounds several times in competition, benched over 800 pounds. And there was a lot of other guys in the game that would stay in it for too long. And uh, even if they didn't stay in it for too long, they kept lifting the same way. They had the same behaviors. Uh, overeating. Most of these guys have sleep apnea, uh, a lot of drug abuse in powerlifting, bodybuilding, probably no shock to anybody there. Sure. And so I was like, I don't want to just do the same meathead stuff all the time. And I want to try to keep moving into some other things. So uh, for a long time, I've been doing these walks, you know, after meal, mm -hmm. um, just trying to be less fat. Basically, uh, I weighed 330 pounds when I was uh, lifting what do you my weigh now? weights. Uh, I'm around 225, Damn. so like 105, 110 pounds. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to keep sticking and moving and not get like stuck or caught in uh, some things I saw my friends go through and not just in powerlifting, but 
uh, even people that uh, I admire that I get to meet through social media and these kind of semi-famous fitness people and things like that. When I'd actually get to talk to them, uh, unfortunately, their life was kind of chaotic and they were some of them were depressed, even though they had lots of money and all these followers and different things. And some of them just had a lot of anxiety. I was like, whatever this is, I was like, I don't want any of this for me. So I'm going to um, try to just keep improving myself and try to be open and try to see if I can find some blind spots. Wow. So with, uh, I'd love to get into a little bit of the transformation. I mean, so um, I always think about that pivotal moment where I saw you on the video fall with, you know, yeah, was 1085. It? Yeah. yeah, 1085. And then there was this like that metamorphosis. Was that like the moment that you were like, maybe this isn't the direction I should be going or like I got hurt. Fuck this. It, it was pretty painful. It was a painful uh, handful of days. And I think that um, what was the injury? I don't even know because I never I never went to the doctor. I uh, I actually like I strategically will go to certain people that I know will give me certain answers. And so I went to a, a guy who does kind of like more like Chinese medicine stuff. And he actually had a really good point. He's like, if you go to the doctor and they give you an x-ray or MRI, he's like, they might be able to tell you what's wrong with your leg, but your leg have o may have always been that way. He's like, I don't think you broke anything. Like I was in tons and tons of pain. I had some pretty good swelling for a handful of days in my uh, uh, kind of a lower leg and uh, in my in my ankle. Um, he's like, I don't, I don't think you, he's like, if you broke something, I, he's like, I think you'd be, you know, at the hospital right now. So he's like, I think you're fine in that respect. But, um, you know, he's like, this is just going to take, it's going to take some time basically. And you're fine. And that's the, is the answer that I was looking for. And so from that point, I just, that fall, you know, caused a lot of pain. I feel that pain can be like a mentor and it just started to send me down, um, a path of just wanting to be healthier really was more the thing it wasn't like okay this lift is taken away from me um i'm like i, I need to kind of take a i need to step back i need to zoom out and i need to kind of uh see if i can make any more sense of this you know i squatted a thousand i was pumped about that i benched 800 i was pumped about that but i always wanted more then it was like you know 850 and then it's 900 and then with the squat it was 1100 it's like it's just if i hit those uh it's not going to make any difference i'm still going to want to do more yeah and so I was like, uh, you know, in pretty deep, I felt like I was kind of addicted to it. It was something I really loved the feeling of, of picking up those like uh, one rep maxes and stuff like that. So I always kind of knew there was like some danger in there and that uh, I could get seriously injured. I could get hurt. I could have permanent damage. And from that point of that fall with the 1085, it was important for me to start to, I don't know, look into doing some other things. And the other thing was bodybuilding. So then how did that pick up? I mean, was it, uh, I'm going to enter a contest. I'm going to get in shape. Uh, was it, you know, Stan efforting trying to mentor yeah. you into it? I mean, I know you had the war on carbs and, uh, it's kind of funny when I check in, there's always something right. that is like, you know, us versus them mentality that you use, <laughs> yeah, which like uh, it. <laughs> it's always fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm sure it brings up a ton of hate, but also good con, you know, yeah. uh, just good content and something to, yeah. yeah, entertainment. And I think people forget for the most part that social media is entertainment. Stan Efforting was huge to have in my corner. It was huge to have him, uh, you know, come to my gym. Um, he uh, came to my gym uh, years ago and he was uh, just became a pro bodybuilder. He was training with Flex Wheeler and Stan came to me and gave me a bunch of cash. And he was like, I want you to train me. <laughs> and uh, 
I was like, well, my gym is free. And, you know, he's like, no, no, no. He's like, I'm going to be a pain in the ass. So here's, he gives me like $6,000 cash. He, he had money. He was jacked. He's pro bodybuilder. I saw the, uh, when I was, pre- like I said, when I was prepping for this, there was a video of him like getting out of a Hummer. Yeah, right. And he looks fucking massive. He's huge back yeah. then. It was nutty, yeah, right? He was big. But, you know, um, it's not like I wasn't aware of this before, but Stan came through and he, he started lifting these massive weights. Um, he even went on to set a, a all-time world record in the squat in the 275-pound weight class, uh, as well as a total record that was around in powerlifting, I think, since like the early 80s. And Stan was able to beat that, I think, to the 23-something, 2,300-something uh, total bench squat deadlift, all done raw. So he was he was incredible, but I was like, I got myself fatter and heavier to lift more weight, but <laughs> I was like, I don't look anything like this guy. You know, I'm like, I need to, I need to change. Okay. Yeah. Maybe for me, maybe personally, like with my height and genetics and so on, maybe I did need to gain some body fat, but at that point I was just fat. Well, but I mean, decided but, to make a change. But wasn't that kind of the West side way? It was. Yeah. It was, yeah. My mentor, Louis Simmons, um, that's what he would look at everybody and be like, yeah, again, 50 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, I, uh, he, he told me that I, I needed to have a 50 inch waist. <laughs> He's like, it's like so unhealthy. Yeah. He's like, at your height, you're going to, he's like, how big's your waist? I'm like 38. He's like, oh, you got, you got to get it up to 50. He's like, if you want, <laughs> uh, I was like, uh, no. And then I'm sitting there at uh, Bob Evans with, you know, Tony Baloney and this yep. crew of guys just drinking Cokes and oh, eating yeah. peanut butter and you know, this, and I'm just looking at these guys and they look like swollen ticks. <laughs> and like, they look like they were going to impl- like explode mm. and implode. Do you remember in, uh, um, what was it? Uh, big trouble in little China where like the Chinese oh, yeah. guy, and like the face, yeah, that's what they all looked like. They were so swollen. We interrupt this episode with a shameless self-promotion. Do you want to build thick sidewalk splitting slabs of muscle? Let me introduce you to Jack Street. Get access to the same tried and true training methods I followed during my 10 years in the NFL, all to walk into training camp at 308 pounds at sub 8% body fat. Punch your ticket to the gain train and join thousands of residents already following Jack Street. Head to powerathletehq.com forward slash jackstreet and claim your seven-day free trial today. Now back to the show. Yeah, the goal was to lift more weight, you know, and Louis was a big encourage, you know, he would he would encourage you a lot to uh, don't worry about the weight uh, on the scale, you know, worry about the weight on the bar, you know, and he's like, if you wanted the weight on the bar to go up, you might have to get your own body weight to start to go up. So he was a big proponent of that. Um but again, like I just didn't want to get stuck in any one thing. You know, I saw a lot of friends, you know, move on from powerlifting or get hurt and uh, have to make um, they, they I think if you have to be told that you have to make a change, uh, I think, unfortunately, it's like it's maybe a little late. Like if you can make the change first, if you can take the first step towards doing jujitsu or towards, you know, writing that thing you wanted to write or whatever the thing is, that's that you're not doing that you've been thinking about for a long time. I think there has to be the kind of a little turning point that gets you um, kind of aimed in that direction and seeing like, uh, and being around a lot of power lifters. I didn't have a lot of examples around me of people that were in shape that had good lifestyle habits that had healthy lifestyle habits. Um, and even quite frankly, that were like uh, intelligent and some uh, intelligent and financially uh secure like i didn't have hardly any examples of that it's not like every power lifter was broke but for the most part a lot of power lifters are sort of broke and they're fat <laughs> and stan came through and so he, what you're saying is fat people are broke 
Yes, that yes, too. Yeah. You'd see that to be common as well. Yeah. That's another podcast. Yeah, that is all another podcast. <laughs> so uh, then Stan shows up with money and he's jacked and yeah, super strong. Exactly. And I'm like, well, okay, maybe I can't like be him, but maybe I should work my way. That would be a fun goal. Let me try to get my waist to be smaller. Let me try to get in shape. Let me see if I can see some abs, that kind of stuff. And so that's where the journey started. And the war on carbs was a perfect uh, thing for me. Uh, I've always liked ketogenic style diets. I've been using them since the, like the mid nineties when I was in high school. First time I ever used a ketogenic diet reading like Dan Duchesne's book or something like that body opus. And, um, I always been a fan of it. So I implemented, uh, that diet routine didn't change anything with my lifting for a pretty long time, but, uh, that change started to take me from three thirty to like two ninety. And then uh, I implemented a little bit of paleo stuff. That's when I was made more aware of, of your style of eating, which at the time was like paleo, milk, maybe some dairy, mm-hmm. right? Stuff like that. And I, I like I like which that. Which is pretty much all the carnivore stuff now. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, eat meat, fruit. Yeah. And they were like, honey and dairy. I'm like, uh, like it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's pretty, yeah. uh, it's funny how all this stuff call, comes full circle. Because, yeah. I mean, I, I got it from Mario De Pasquale and, uh, you know, Vince Garanda, if you look at, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. I mean, it was the same deal. I mean, it's just, nowadays you're on a diet, you know. <laughs> nowadays you're on a diet if you're just eating the natural foods that are around. Uh, is it really that, a diet? I, that's what I'm saying. I just thought like, it was eating. Yeah, it is. But, you know, we're, we're so used to processed foods that um, that's the more common thing. And then when you are a denier of processed foods, you don't want to ha- eat them or um, you make different decisions and you're eating vegetables and meat and fruit and stuff like that, then you're the weird one sometimes. And you're the uh, one and you're, you're uh, the one on a diet, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know if that's the weird one. I think that's the way you segment people. Right. I don't, I think they're the weird ones and I don't want to hang out with them. Right. You know, right. so for me, um, the way I got into it, I, like I thought the same thing in my head, yeah. but I think that sometimes, uh, you know, I think some, sometimes there's a part of that where, yeah, it's like so maybe it doesn't seem like the person fits in perfectly. Uh, you know, I mean, the food for performance deal was always our, our right. kick. I mean, I always wanted to be bigger and stronger. And I realized that, uh, you know, if you're going to go out in front of millions of people in white spandex, <laughs> fucking be in shape. Yeah. And that was, uh, you know, like you're out there and you're like, you know, you're bending over in front of millions of people in white spandex. Like right. they have way too many fucking pot shots and the, you know, John Madden circling oh, dudes yeah. guts and humi- crack and everything. Oh yeah. Humiliating people. And he, you know, and I didn't want to be on that side of it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be in good shape and I'm like, well shit, if I eat better yeah. and you know, do a little bit of aerobic exercise and maybe a little bit of bodybuilding, I'm going to look better. And therefore I'm not going to end up on John Madden's, you know, cause he used to circle. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you remember uh, the Dallas Cowboys, but oh, like yeah. Larry Allen and, mm-hmm. you know, Nate Newton and all those guys. And uh, I think it was um, two. Uh, it was like a candy bar, like on the field yeah. or something. They circled yeah. it. Oh, yeah. And he would like show their guts and the whole thing and just humiliate these dudes. And, you know, I mean, they didn't really give a shit, but I was like mortified. I'm like, fuck, I don't want to be one of these guys. So it just helped to be in good shape. <laughs> it feels good to be in good shape. And uh, that's the other. That was something else that was uh, a focal point, which I never really did before. I didn't really. I guess maybe in the beginning I might have lifted a little bit for aesthetics. I think when you're a teenager, you're trying to get like jacked pipes or something like that. Uh, but so much of it was more performance-based for powerlifting. And then so trying to the transition into that was a lot of fun because I was able to make some pretty good changes going from 330 to around 290 and then being stuck at 290 for a while and getting into like the 270s and then, you know, getting down to 260 and so on. Um, 
and I stayed at these weights for a long time. People always ask kind of how long this process take. And I just tell them it took 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't really take 10 years. It probably took almost more like it probably took almost more like five years to, to lose, um, to lose like 90 pounds or something like that. But it took another five years of almost like, uh, like rehab of, you know, keeping these disciplines cemented. Cause I would still go from like 270 to 285, you know, and then I'd be 280 and then I'd stay there for a little while. And then I'd work my way down five pounds would ratchet back and forth over period, over long periods of time. And so it wasn't like I just, boom, I got this discipline now and I'm all fired up and now I'm on this diet perfectly. It took, it took a lot of trial and error and I failed many times and I uh, would cheat on my diet or overdo it. Um, I, you know, when I look back at it, I'm, I was thinking like, I was thinking of this cheat meal is going to be like, it's a, uh, you know, time to like overfeed and like, I don't know, it's going to keep you strong for like the next workout. Cause you ate a bunch of calories or something like that. And I just, you know, some of that, uh, some of that can be true. Like you eat a certain amount. Um, you might hold some sodium and feel a little stronger and stuff like that. But, um, I needed to, I needed to lose that. I needed to shed that for myself if I was going to continue to do something different. And that was to continue to try to work at, just look, looking a lot less fat. So, I, and I also didn't want to pull the weight off super fast. Sure. Because, uh, then you look like a sharp pay. Yeah. You look like a little melted candle. You yeah, know, people it's are like, bad look. yeah, people are like, what happened to him? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's never a good look. People forget that the skin's elec- uh, elastic, but it needs time. Like, yeah. I mean, you all of a sudden cut 90 pounds and, you know, all of a sudden now you're looking at some reconstruction surgery and getting sharp, cut up like a sharp pay. And it was really, uh, it was really helpful though to, have a diet that has whole foods in it that's not so restrictive like i i love i love the keto diet i still think it has a lot of great application what's your diet like today um mainly just uh, same thing it's like meat uh, fruit you just put meat and fruit on repeat pretty much it's not a bad (laughs) diet and uh there's a little bit of dairy in there i'll have some yogurt some cottage cheese um no vegetables yeah i'll eat vegetables yeah i actually um just maybe the last couple of weeks, I wanted to try to augment my um, like energy and, and uh, macro ratio sort of thing. Like uh, basically um, try to give myself foods that fill me up a little bit better that, uh, you know, don't have don't pack a lot of energy, you know, so vegetables, certain types of berries, things like that. And then just jacking my protein way up just to try to get leaner. But that's been like an overarching theme of whatever particular style of diets that I've been on. And even now, even with running, I don't really eat a lot of carbohydrate, uh, you know? And if I say like a lot, I think a lot for me would be like 200 plus, you know, I I will, uh, if I lifted in a day and I ran in a day, or maybe I did it the day before I feel I need it or I just want it. I'll eat a potato. I'll eat rice. I'm not like, uh, you know, crazy about it i'm not like super regimented on it either i just kind of loosely you know go by how i feel and just try to make sure i'm hydrated and that i consume large amount of protein because the protein was help keep my hunger at bay so when you um i I know you signed up and did a bodybuilding show and i know there was like a big push in that i mean so how much were you weighing and then like what did you show up to the bodybuilding show in so i think something critical is you know i Again, it took me a long time to lose all that weight. And in prepping for the bodybuilding show, I was already in pretty decent yeah. shape. You know, like it wasn't like I was shredded or anything, especially at the time uh, that it happened. I'll, I'll explain it in a second. But um, I was just 
I was just like a little bit out of shape at that time. I think I was trying to work through an injury and I wasn't as consistent with like my workout. So what happened was, is we had Hani Rambot on our podcast and Hani uh, coaches um, all the champion yeah. uh, bodybuilders, uh, works with Chris Bumstead and stuff like that. And uh, I was fortunate to have Hani. Uh, he called me out on my podcast. He's like, hey, you know, you're, you're in good shape now. He's like, you lost a lot of weight and you've been, you know, staying at this weight for a while now and you're looking a little more jacked. He's like, you have to, you owe it to your fans. You owe it to the people to go do a bodybuilding show. He's like, I think they would really. You're like, shit. Yeah, I think they'd be really interested. And then like, so I just took my shirt off. I was like, well, I don't know anything about bodybuilding. So you need to, <laughs> you need to help me. I, I, I don't what the hell's going on. So if you'll coach me, then I'll go do it. And uh, so, yeah, I just started doing all the bodybuilding stuff. I mean, you want to be a bodybuilder, then you're going to have to do bodybuilding stuff. If you want to power lift, you got to do power lifter sure. stuff. And Stan Efferding did a great job of, of, I think people think that he did both at the same time, and he didn't. He did them separately. Sure. Um, they are different sports. And when Stan came off of a bodybuilding show, he was in really good condition. Uh, but his like nervous system would be all weird, you know, when he came, when he came to me, he was doing all these, uh, higher rep stuff and, and things like that. And so, um, it took weeks and weeks and it took weeks and weeks for his body to kind of even, uh, sort of stabilize off of a bodybuilding show. But I do think it's important that, uh, people get, people have goals and people have big goals. But I think, think the reason why I brought up the fact that, uh, I was already in pretty good shape is because, I see a lot of people that get excited about like running a marathon or half marathon. And I don't want to discourage people's enthusiasm. Um, but I don't think it's a great place to start if you're coming from too far back. Sure. Maybe if you used to run or something, you know, if you have like decent conditioning, it was part of some history of yours or something. But I see there's a lot of people that get really excited to like do a powerlifting meet. Maybe they're even thinking of some sort of physique type of thing to do. Usually that's the last thing on people's minds. Because uh, of the difficulty of it, but uh, I think people are just like overreaching because they're trying too many things at one time. It's like, okay, you haven't been on a diet in a really long time, you haven't run in a really long time, you haven't lifted in a really long. You know, you're you're just doing all these things, and there's uh so many things that are new. So maybe just uh, take it, you know, one one step at a time, and then when you sort of feel like you're in pretty good shape, maybe that's when you start to think, oh wow, I ran ten miles today. That wasn't that bad. You know, let me see what it's like to run 12 or 13, and then maybe you're more in line for that goal. Power Thief Nation, this episode is brought to you by Eight Sleep. Summer's in full effect, and it is hot here in Texas. And when I say hot, I mean hot, hot. And the best way to sleep is at 55 degrees with the Eight Sleep pod cover. This thing allows the bed to get icy, and there's nothing better on a hot night than slipping into an icy, cold bed. Now, there's a few features of this thing that are absolute game changers. One, it's a pod cover, so it fits on top of your present mattress. Anybody that's been in the market and had to go out and shop for a new mattress, complete pain in the ass because you usually have a significant other or a friend or whoever sleeps with you that decides, hey, this is the temperature I like. I like firmer, I like softer, so you can keep your mattress. It's a pod cover that fits on top. Also, it's split zone. So let's say I like to sleep at 55 degrees and my wife likes to sleep at 65. We can have separate temperatures, which just makes everybody happy. And then also for the performance crowd, which I'm kind of a geek, I like to know all of the different sleep metrics out there. It gives me how long I slept, how restful, how many breaths, and most importantly, my HRV, which I can track. 
So it allows me to know how restful and how well I sleep. It also has some custom tuning with different temperatures that gets really deep in the weeds with this thing. It's as good a system as I've ever seen. So if you're interested in checking out the 8sleep pod cover, you can use the code 8sleep.com slash powerathlete for $150 off. I recommend you check it out. I'm not only telling you about it, I'm also a user every single night and I'm sold on 8sleep. Check it out. So how much were you weighing when you went into the bodybuilding prep? I mean, you were, like we said, you were already in pretty good shape. You'd already been training. Um, you know, uh, honey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, calls you out. Uh, what was the like 12 week, 14, 16 mm-hmm. week? Like what was the transformational window? Yeah. This ended up being about nine weeks. So we didn't have a lot of time and, uh, it was just like right away, just bring the fats way down. Um, keep the protein cranked, but he didn't really know how I'd respond to like a a ton of carbohydrate and stuff since I don't normally eat that much of that. Um, he, it's pretty interesting. He wasn't sure like, you know, how my body would respond basically. But, um, I, we, we had, um, Jay Cutler on the podcast Mm -hmm. and he was saying that like, uh, he like, what was he saying? Thousand carbs. Yeah. 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 But he could only eat that when he was at his leanest. Right. So like once he, you know, like there was like a deal where he had to keep protein high and the carbs were here. And then all of a sudden he crushed like a threshold of leanness where all of a sudden he could handle that much carbohydrate, Mm -hmm. which got him leaner. But if he went to that beforehand, it didn't work. And it was like, holy shit. Yeah. Now, Poliquin had that like rule of like, you're not 10% body fat. You shouldn't eat any carbs. Carbs. Yeah. You know, he wanted people to uh, be lean and have their metabolism kind of prepared to utilize those carbohydrates. But yeah, I mean, that's just, you know, getting ready for a bodybuilding show and doing it on short notice. It had to uh, just transfer everything over into like just sinking myself into bodybuilding. I got to learn how to pose. I don't know anything about like, you know, how to be all tan for the show or whatever and uh, tanning oil and whatever else I need to buy weird underwear. Was it uh, like a, uh, like you brought in somebody to airbrush you or was it just like yeah. overloading the Milano tan? Uh, it was like all, you know, it was like all like be in the sun, I, uh, Atlanta tan, everything. So when, uh, I, I did your podcast years ago, uh, I remember you were like all high on the Milano tan. Oh yeah. I love you, were, you were like, dude, this is the great, uh, the greatest, you know, you'll fucking get tan. You walk around with a constant fucking heart on <laughs> yeah. and, uh, it's you, the magic. Yeah. You were like, this is the best thing ever. Everybody should take this all day. I love it. And you're like, <laughs> but don't take too much. Cause I think that you said that you took too much and you turned to like a crazy kind of oh, like yeah. sweaty purpley color. Oh yeah. And you were like just little doses. So it was hilarious that you were, uh, you, you could not <laughs> sing the praises of Milano Tan better. Well, yeah. It's, uh, cause I started up a company, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you have a company now? No, that, I'm kidding. I'm oh. kidding. I was like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, make, yeah. It's uh, Mark's peptides. Yeah. You're <laughs> Yeah, huge, a huge proponent of it. Oh, dude, I uh, to this day I still laugh about uh, you being like, man, this is the greatest stuff ever. So, <laughs> yeah, whenever I see the, the the bodybuilding shows, I just kind of assume that those guys are taking that, and then they show up and somebody has an airbrusher and they just fucking paint them. Bodybuilding is yeah, it's weird. And then just the, just the diet alone. The thing that I liked about bodybuilding was uh, that it's a full court press, and you might be able to kind of argue that other sports should be this way or that they are this way, but. Um, you got to go all in. You have, you have to go all in with bodybuilding. You're going to be on the stage in like little skimpy underwear. So is the fear of being on stage in the skimpy underwear is what wakes you up and kicks you in the pants to go do it. That you're going to show up in front of all your friends in your undies and you better look the fucking part or everybody's going to laugh you out. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and you know, I like to, um, I think, you know, there were some people that were kind of thinking like, Oh, he's doing bodybuilding. It's probably for like his Instagram or something like that. And of course, like 
everything's for, everything's for social media. Everything's for attention. Um, that's that's the world that we live in. Uh, but you know, I genuinely wanted to kind of give this thing a shot, and I was like, if I'm going to give it a shot, and I'm doing it with the best coach, out of respect for him, I like owe sure. it to him to just you know go over the middle as hard as I can, and so. Um, I felt like I did that. I felt like uh, it'd be kind of cool if I uh, do this bodybuilding show and when people go and check it out, when they see like, oh, he's, you know, four weeks out, three weeks out, they'll go, oh, like he's okay. He's really doing it like he's fucking taking it seriously. Sure. And you did. And I did. Yeah. And I won. And oh, you uh, won. Yeah, it was great. Oh, fuck. I just know. I just did one show. You just did one show and that was it. That was it. I don't know if I'll ever do it again. It was just uh this is a totally different kind of experience. It wasn't like uh, competing like I've ever dealt with before. So it was uh, it was strange. <laughs> but, well, it, it's subjective. Yeah. Like that's what I, I still am. Right. Because uh, we've been to the Arnold. I've been to uh, the Olympia. And I'm, I'm fascinated by bodybuilding. Mm. Um, almost more so for the fans of bodybuilding because uh, like. Oh, people are nuts. Oh, around. my God. Like, like they're like hero worship and this and waiting in line for hours to like, the, right. I, like I, I was just amazed by like the hero worship piece. Uh, and then I was even more amazed by the fact that there's like no concrete mm. way to tell who wins or who doesn't. <laughs> so like I'm looking at all these people and um, the one that, that blew my mind was uh, I think it was called the wellness bodybuilding for the girls. Oh, so right. they have like lower bodies that look like horses, minotaurs. And then they're like super fit with like, you know, uh, like really nice, you know, implants, like nice cans, like cap shoulders. Right. And these girls like look like nothing I've ever seen. They like basically have morphed themselves into what would be like a minotaur where it's like horse bottom <laughs> adult. And so like we were sitting there and there was um, a Puerto Rican gal. I think her name's Yarnisha. Yarn, I'm, I'm messing that up. Maybe it's her social media. Mm. I only know that because she had hundreds of fans with her face spray painted, like airbrushed <laughs> on a shirt with like whatever her Instagram handle Holy was. Shit. Dude, she had like the, like her hair, like looked like, like it was amazing. Like the amount of work that went into what it, like this entire Full package. Pageant, oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Like, I right. mean, she had hair and makeup and this, I mean, it was crazy. And there was like armies of people that mm. were there for her and she didn't even win. Shit. And so we were, uh, and then we, we saw the bodybuilders. I stood next to, next to Nick Walker. Mm. Who, oh yeah. Massive. Yeah. He's like, he's like came up to like probably like my waist but he's yeah. super wide and what was crazy was um it looked like uh his veins had collapsed mm. in the bottom of his legs he had such bad varicose mm -hmm. it was the craziest thing i've ever seen i'm like looking at his ankles and it's just like it looked like all the veins it just popped down yeah he's had that uh and people are always concerned when he's got like these pictures like where he's posing and stuff like that people are like what is going on with your ankles yeah. i mean just, it's it's he's not dead yet and yeah. he's probably yeah taking everything under the sun but i was yeah I was fascinated, but the problem I couldn't, or as we were sitting there, uh, we're watching all the bodybuilders on stage and even like Chris Bumsfeld and like uh, the, there's like a Brazilian dude mm. that's like his big guy. And then there's a black dude that's like his, you know, these three guys get up there. The only way I knew Chris was going to win is he was the tallest. Mm. Right. And he had a mustache. And I was like, I think <laughs> the guy with the mustache is going to win. But like, it was like, I couldn't. It's tough to really tell. Yeah. And, yeah. and the people next to me who were like into it, like knew, oh, you know, he's, you know, this, I mean, they were like picking these dudes apart. And I, I like, I just was completely like, ah, like, ah, yeah, what like, am I looking at? Yeah. Like, what am I looking at? Yeah. I'm like, everybody's in great shape. They're right. all really tan. Like they all look great. I mean, they all like, I, they're all wearing the same speedo, 
I just know one dude's taller, one dude's black and one dude's uh, Brazilian. Like that's the only difference. But the girls, I couldn't tell any difference. But then like some girls were wearing high heels, some Mm. were barefoot and it was crazy to see the difference. I I was. Oh yeah. They have like bikini and everything, right? Yeah. It was bikini, but then they were wearing high heels and then it was bikini, but they were wearing no shoes. And then they had a closed fist and it opened. Like it was, I, I, I'd like my head exploded (laughs) just like, uh, but, uh, like, you know, and, and I appreciate people's dedication to something. Like if you're going to do something, fucking let it kill you. Right. And these people are going out and dying on the sword for what they want. But what was amazing was the crowd and the people and how into it the people were. And they knew their own, like, it was, it was really fucking like shockingly scary. You win a lot of admiration by not eating a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, for a handful of weeks, I mean, but, but at least in football, we get to go out and people would get drunk. You know, like one of my favorites was during TV timeouts. We'd always stand there and watch the crowd and see people get into fights, especially mm-hmm. at Eagles games. Like if the Eagles Giants were there, people always just, safe, right? yeah, just get fucking shit faced and beat each other up. So we used to stand there and watch it. And so at least there was like football, hot dogs, beer, right. people were up fucking up the other people. But like, you know, so I could see the dedication with the fans, even mm-hmm. though I thought they were insane too. But the the bodybuilding fans, I've never seen anything like this. They got their Tupperware. They got their protein shaker cup next to them. Did the you Did you get a glimpse of that when you were there? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, there's people, you know, like the the more the longer someone's been bodybuilding, the gi- more giant their gym bag is, and they got you know all the uh, prepared meals. It definitely was a stiffer thing than like doing um, powerlifting. It, like, at least it seemed that way. Um, powerlifting, like everyone's a little antsy in the warm up room and stuff because they need to get like their first lift in and uh, get some of the cobwebs out, kind of thing. But once that happens, then everyone's kind of like messing with each other, making fun of each other. Um, when I went to this bodybuilding show, I like grabbed the donut in the back and the donut is like for like, after you do your morning show, like some people will have some sugar. Um, and it's just for some other people that are backstage too. But I was like eating a donut before I go on stage and I was like, um, I was like, this is great. They have donuts back here. And like, no one, <laughs> nobody laughed. <laughs> Nobody's laughing. Like they're like, this guy's an idiot. They're just, back there just passing gas. Everybody's farting disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Most likely. Uh, and, but just even, you know, uh, getting in some conversation with some of the guys that seemed like there were some other guys there that were mad that I was, uh, like coming in and like taking their spot. But I'm like, I don't even understand what that means. Like I signed up for it just like everybody else. And you're like, well, you're kind of known in fitness or whatever. And I'm like, oh, well, I think it's just going to come down to whoever's the leanest. And the other guys that I, I was very fortunate. The guys that came into that show weren't in shape. Oh, so what, what was the show you did? Uh, just in Sacramento. Just in Sacramento, like yeah. a local Sacramento show. Yeah. Local and this is just a local bodybuilding show and people are literally dying on the sword for this. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> yeah. And for me, I was, you know, really fortunate too. I didn't have to like submarine my calories too crazy because uh, we, we just used, used, utilized some cardio. Honey was like, I don't know how disciplined you're going to actually be with the diet, even though we're communicating back and forth a bunch. And you're for, your former fatty. So he's like, you're going to do an hour of cardio every day. Was it uh, just an hour in one shot or was it an hour yeah, broken up? Usually an hour in one shot. Uh, every once in a while I had to break it up just because I couldn't figure out a way to like fit it into my lifestyle. S- seven days a week? Seven days a week, um, you know, and probably five days a week doing like a double workout um, and and the diet thing. I mean, the diet thing is just there the whole time. Um my wife and I and my kids, we stayed in uh, Malibu that year for maybe about a month. And, you know, I'm having like iced tea when we went out to eat and uh, just ordering a salad with no dressing on it and shit, shit like that. Because I had to eat like specific meals and I had to uh, um, basically just 
you know, cook them at home and shit like that. Yeah, it's uh, can't play around. You can't like mess around and get have the uh, chef dump a bunch of oil on your food or whatever. Yeah. You know. Well, um, I always thought it was uh, no fat equals no fun. Right. So like a bunch of like super lean uh, chicken and like uh, fish and like white fish with like no oil and no fat in it. It's awful. Do you uh, still do some bodybuilding stuff here and there? Yeah. Yeah, I, I still do. Um, I I'll always lift that way. Um, it's just more fun for me. It's fun. I think yeah. you can do it forever, right? I mean. Well, I, I think you should kind of hybrid. Um, I like heavy compound movements mm -hmm. for lower reps and then I do accessory with higher reps. Like it's pretty much everybody I think yeah. should train. And, um, you know, I still try to eat you know, pretty well and, right. you know, try to stay in decent shape and do aerobic work, but I'm not doing it to try to get in shape for a bodybuilding show. I just know that, you know, if I can keep my aerobic fitness up, then mm -hmm. I have greater mitochondrial density and uh, it helps with doing jujitsu and some of the other stuff, especially living here in Texas where it's so damn hot all the time that if you don't have a little bit of aerobic base, you're going to die. How much uh, space did you have between sports, between like uh, your professional football career and then doing something else? Um, shit, let me think about this. Um, you know, I competed in the CrossFit games when I was still playing in the NFL, which mm -hmm. was crazy. Cause I think, uh, competing at the games is probably why I fucked my knee up and ended up getting hurt playing for the Patriots. Um, and then, uh, what was interesting was when I retired, um, you know, CrossFit hit me up and I started working for CrossFit, you know, I taught 36 seminars that first year and we just were on the road. And so, uh, you know, I wasn't necessarily doing any other sports I mean, we were lifting weights and, um, you know, I, I was trying to do some Olympic lifting and, you know, we did powerlifting and just trying to fuck around, but I didn't really compete at anything for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And I think part of my, um, my, maybe my hesitance or trepidation, let's say, was that I didn't want to fuck myself up anymore. You know, I think I had like set my body body on the funeral pyre of cross or of uh, a pro football and set it yeah. ablaze. And I always had this like feeling like, oh, I'm going to fuck myself up again. And then how am I going to fix myself? Mm. And was your body like sketchy ish at the time? No, I mean, it just like uh, there's a lot of pain, you yeah. know, um, you know, I was limited in range of motion in my shoulder and my knee was kind of getting worse. And I think I just didn't want to fuck myself up. And so I used it as an excuse to like just lift weights and like, right. I'll just go do other shit. And uh, and then, you know, obviously fast forward a bunch of years and that's when I, I got approached about working with the guys, uh, for jujitsu with, uh, Victor and those guys from six blades. And as they started kind of training with me, I thought it was disingenuous that they learned from me and I didn't learn from them. So right. I had to humble myself and I was like, you know what, if I fuck myself up, I'll just have to find a way to fix mm -hmm. myself. And so I started doing it and now I'm sad that I didn't go and do more. I mean, we'd go do a bunch of boxing stuff and then I had shoulder surgery and I, I stopped boxing. And I think the thing that was upsetting me was um, I'd always been so athletic and done so many things. And all of a sudden now I wasn't doing those things. Mm. And so I needed to find something to do. And I think that was extremely beneficial because you just kind of start pairing yourself off. And, um, you know, what I respect a ton is that, you know, here's different things that you've done. You've done powerlifting and now I want to go in this direction for the bodybuilding stuff. And, uh, I always thought what it would be like to do bodybuilding. Um, but every time I'd like, I, I don't like subjective things. Right. Um, you know, I, I like when I look at it, I'm, I'm always fascinated by the culture. Hmm. And I appreciate a lot of like, you know, hey, if you want to make bigger, stronger athletes, you better learn some bodybuilding. So I always right. liked the premise of it. I just like everything other than the competition side of stepping hmm. on stage and like not knowing who wins because some guy <laughs> right. is subjectively giving you that. Like, to me, there should be some definitive way to tell. Right. And uh, even, you know, when we had Jay Cutler on, he was talking about the battles between, you know, him and Ronnie Coleman yeah. and this and, you know, like going back and looking at all this stuff. I mean, 
uh, you know, I, I grew up a Dorian Yates fan because mm-hmm. he was the kind of the big bodybuilder when I started right. lifting weights and, uh, you know, blood and guts and seeing that the way he trained, like that was more akin to kind of the mentality we had. But, uh, you know, when he stepped on stage, there was really no argument about who won. Mm. And, uh, I just kind of appreciated that, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, when I saw you do it, I was like, man, that's, uh, that's super interesting one to get up in front of your undies, but also like the subjective nature of it when you're used to something like powerlifting where it's like. I mean, but I guess it could be subjective on depth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In the squat. Yeah. There's always, <laughs> there's always controversy in the squat. Yeah. I mean, that's, Forever. I mean, like, like the deadlift, either you lock it out or you don't, the yeah. bench, it either touches your chest or it doesn't, the squat. Right. And I remember that was like a big uh, dig on Louis guys that Louis was only going to go to meets where he'd let everybody squat high and right, like the, right. the pettiness of bodybuilding or of uh, powerlifting, yeah, which power is fucking yeah. legendary. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen dudes uh, who are bigger, stronger, more masculine men argue more. Oh yeah. And be that petty. But, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sad that I didn't get into something a little bit earlier, but I don't know if I was ready for it. It kind of took me to like mentally be like, ah, oh, it's okay to get fucked up again. You've been, you've been doing a lot of stuff in the gym though, to oh, yeah. keep yourself like, like you're not just bodybuilding in the gym. No. Uh, you're keeping yourself resilient with yeah. special exercises and yeah, no, I, I've right. always trained athletically. Yeah. Um, and just the, I, I figured any uh, like running or any drills, anything like that. You yeah, still, I still sprint. Up? Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you noticed, but that hill in the back of the building, I mm. graded that so I could do hill oh, sprints nice. and we push that sled, uh, do a lot of sled drags and a lot of, yeah. and, and a lot of that stuff. A hill sprint is so good, especially for a bigger guy. Yeah. You don't have to worry as much about getting hurt. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I look at you at 225 pounds and I'm like, man, I always <laughs> wonder what it'd be like to weigh like 240 or 250. And, uh, you know, I, I think the closest I've gotten was like 265. And the problem is, is that my head looked so so skinny <laughs> that I would almost have to like readjust to like head size. Mm. So that might take a little while. Well, dude, when you're 6'6", six, six, like, I yeah. mean, what, what are you like? Six, two? I'm like six feet. Yeah, six feet. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like it, uh, it tends to like my head tends to look like real beakerish. Mm. I get nervous on that. Yeah, you know, being around like other friends that have been powerlifting or bodybuilding for a long time and and me, you know, kind of giving up some of that, um, you know, still like runner wise, I like I'm 60 pounds, 70 pounds heavier than a lot of people that I see running. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a lot of friends, they'll be like, ah, you're a pussy or whatever. And they try to tease me about it. But then usually later on, because we're all similar in age ish, uh, they'll be like, yeah, I got to kind of do the same thing. <laughs> Well, uh, like I need to head in your direction. I think. Do you enjoy the running? I love it. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It uh, took months and months to kind of get used to it. But did um, did you love it the first time you went out and ran, or did you think like I need this, or it just took you doing it over and over again to kind of find that? Yeah, it took it took a little while. I you know for I don't even know how many years, but Sturette and like myself, and I think you and uh, kind of a handful of other guys, Jesse Burdick. Um, we've been talking about the value of, of going out on a walk for a really long time. And so for me, that's where it started. And the, and the walking actually helped manipulate and help me lower my body weight quite a bit as well. Um, because I just like, I like to eat, you know, I really do. It's like ingrained in my head somewhere. I really love to eat. And so, uh, I need like the activity to kind of, you know, to kind of keep me going. But, uh, the transition into running was just a transition into, in from walking. So I was on a walk one day and I was like, I wonder, it's been a long time since I really run. Last time I did, I, I remember maybe like a year prior, I was trying to get into some sprints, mm-hmm. but I 
tried to sprint too fast too early and, and pop something in my calf. And then I tried again and I popped something in my hamstring. And were, were you doing a bunch of barefoot running? I think so. Yeah. Like on the beach and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I think I saw a video of you mm -hmm. on a like football field doing barefoot running. Mm -hmm. There's you had some guy on the podcast who was a big yeah, Graham Tuttle. Yeah. Yeah. And you were doing a bunch of barefoot running. Yeah. And it's, uh, I like some of that on the grass. Yeah. It's, you know, in the appropriate spot. Um, sprinting to me, is like the greatest, uh, like display of power. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a great display of athleticism. Like right. I always joke that, uh, I had to see Usain Bolt play pickup soccer to know he was a great athlete like sprinting in a straight line isn't a great show of athleticism right. but it's a great display of power um cal Dietz always says that if uh you can videotape somebody running and break it down you can pretty much see where somebody's deficient within their you know strength training model based right, upon right. sprinting so i always uh i always felt that you know a program that doesn't involve sprinting is mm -hmm. kind of a subpar program and like the day that you forget or lose the ability to sprint now you're all of a sudden transitioning in a way. And I've, I've heard other people say it much more eloquent, but mm -hmm. I'm always like the day that all of a sudden I can't go out and sprint. So, I mean, that hill in the back is one of those things where like at least once a week, I'm like, I need to go run this motherfucker. Um, not in this weather. Yeah. So in this weather, that's what the heavy, that's what that uh, uh, torque sled that I had yeah. indoor. So uh, we got one of those and like pushing that for 15, 30 yards at a time. Like that's kind of my sub in this weather, but when the weather gets better and the grass gets a little lush and it gets much softer in the grass, uh, running that hill is one of the mm. greatest things to be able to do. And then also the feeling of like, okay, I can still do this because I always think at someday there's a point where we won't be able to. Right. And will you, will you ever remember the last day that you ran or the last day that you sprinted? Right. You know? So, I mean, I, I think it's great that you're out there doing it, but, um, uh, shit, man, I never, I, I always liked the ability to run fast. Jogging just always seemed like a warm up to me. Yeah. Yeah, so for, for me, it started with the idea of like, uh, I should get explosive, I should work on getting more athletic. And I was contemplating doing some sort of shorter running because I'm like, I, you know, I'm not going to go like run a marathon or anything crazy, right? And then you did run a marathon. <laughs> and I did run one. Um, so I tried to start out with with sprints, I screwed myself up a couple times, I was trying to be cautious, is the thing that was even more annoying. Uh, because i I'm understanding like I haven't sprinted in a long time. So I wasn't really trying to even go fast, but I, I hurt myself twice. And then uh, over a period of time, I just started to jog a little bit on some walks. And I was like, I bet I could jog to that sign over there. And I would jog and I'd make it to the sign. And then I would try to jog to the next uh, next person's house or whatever. And uh, over a period of time, I would walk and jog back and forth, back and forth. And then eventually I was on a uh a jog one day and I was like, Oh, I already, I went a half mile already. Well, let me see if I can go another mile. And, uh, once I did that next mile, then there was only one mile left in the loop that I was doing. So I'm like, Oh, let me see if I can run the whole thing. And running the whole thing was something that I told myself probably three or four months earlier that I would probably never do just cause I would think that, uh, I don't know. I just think I'd be breathing too hard and that it would just suck too bad. Like it wouldn't be, it would be so uncomfortable that it wouldn't be fun, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, and I was wrong, you know, eventually I just got used to it and was able to kind of keep going and the pace was super slow and all that. But I was also so poor at it that I wanted to figure out like what, you know, what, like, okay, why I understand I've been strength training. I understand I've been doing the opposite, but, um, this seems pretty simple. Like I shouldn't suck this bad at it. So I just thought to myself, let me, let me work on just getting down some basics to be able to run three miles, have it not kill me. Well, that's where a lot of what were the basics the basics were uh just did, to did be you a, hire like a running coach or like work with somebody um 
Not at first, not, not at first. At first it was more like intuitive stuff. Um, I know a lot about track just from being around like Louis Simmons and yeah. being around like a lot of other coaches. Um, and I, and the, a lot of the protocols that we utilize in, in strength training are very similar to what you'll see on a track and things like that. So I knew, I knew a little bit of stuff. Um, and so I just was trying to put some of that into practice. I would watch videos. Um, David, I talked with David Weck, mm -hmm. um, listen to some of the stuff the guys from Gota were saying, listening to some people about some barefoot stuff. And the barefoot stuff made a lot of sense to me that if you're on an appropriate, um, you know, appropriate ground, uh, which I think would be like a field, ideally, not just like running out on the concrete, but some uh, sprinting barefoot and even sprinting in like thick sand or sprinting uphill. All those things kind of made a lot of sense to me um, due to the fact they slow you down a little bit and like the absorption is, is way different. And so uh, some of that was something I was also uh, trying to incorporate here and there. And it's something that I want to get more into now. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to work more on power. So that was kind of the whole point in the very beginning of running was to, I don't know, be able to turn it into something different. Mm -hmm. um, but I, along the way, I got addicted to endurance training uh, because once you, once you start going and once you start to do three miles and it's, you're like, oh, that, you know, didn't really negatively impact me. Uh, you start to do that in a uh, lower heart rate, but you're running the same speed or maybe even running potentially a little faster and that heart rate is staying the same or getting lower. You just get amazing results when you're not trying to top out all the time, when you're not trying to go really fast. Sure. And before you know it, you're just out on a run one day and you're like, I'm not out of breath. My legs don't bother me. You know, for some people, it takes a while to get their legs ready. For other people, it takes a while for them to get their kind of breathing and their heart rate uh, under control. But those two things at a certain point, once you just have a real general basic, that's kind of what I meant by the basics, real general and basic, um, I would just say like aerobic base. Yeah. And once that, aero and there's many ways to build an aerobic base. That's why some people are like, I don't understand why someone wants to go out and run for so long. It's like, well, you don't necessarily have to. It's just that you have to be strategic on how you build out these aerobic bases. This episode of Power Athlete Radio is powered by Train Heroic, the most immersive strength training app experience on the market. We've built our online training business by partnering with Train Heroic and helping us deliver all of our world-class training programs like Jack Street, Field Strong, and Grindstone. To learn which Power Athlete training program best suits your goals, head to powerathletehq.com training. And if you're a coach looking to build a business with the best tech and training, go to trainheroic.co forward slash powerathletehq. And now back to the show. Um, you know, we had, uh, like I said earlier, we hung out with Boss Rutten and he has this thing called the O2 trainer. Yeah. And the whole deal. Um, so I've been messing with it. And the whole deal is, you know, training the diaphragm. And so his. Um, Makes all those muscles tired and sore. Oh, it's, yeah. well, it's terrible. Uh, but I've been using it because his deal is that if you can train those muscles, uh, your second wind is really just your diaphragm warming up. Mm. So the quicker and the stronger and the more warm you can get your diaphragm, the quicker you can get into your second wind. Mm. And I remember uh, in college, you're going to laugh at this, but uh, one year conditioning test was a time mile, which is the dumbest thing we ever did. <laughs> and because I was under 300 pounds, so I was like 290, 289, 292. Uh, I had to run sub seven minute mile. Jesus. So I all we did, we didn't do any fucking speed work. All we did was lift weights and then we would go to the track and either do like, you know, uh, 200 meter, 400 meter, you know, 800 meter repeats and had this entire like track Shit. workout that this guy that ran like uh, the mile at Cal put together for, for me. And, uh, I ended up running a 658. Wow. Um, 
and it was and then of course we got our fucking dicks kicked in everybody was slow like it was it was the dumbest <laughs> experiment on the planet but i remember like having to go out and do all this kind of like logging all this mileage and mm. i remember it took me about a mile and then all of a sudden we started pushing past all of a sudden i could like breathe better right and then you get into this like you know i'm gonna die i'm gonna die and then all of a sudden i got to the point where i'm like oh i'm not gonna die and i used to joke that it was my second wind and then when mm. boss root said it was warming up i'm like man that makes more sense mm. But yeah, we had to go uh, do it. We used to have to do these long runs where we would run from um, the Memorial Stadium. We would run down college, come down, and we ended up doing these like three to five mile loops. Um, or I'm sorry, they were five Ks. So they were what, three miles right. and change. But we would run this loop like two days a week and do all this. So for an entire off season, all we did was endurance training. Uh, we ended up, everybody was in shape. Everybody made their time, but it actually destroyed any ability we had to play football. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it didn't carry over. So then I had this really negative view of uh, aerobic training. I thought right. it was a fucking scam. I thought anything that didn't involve power and speed and max intensity, young Charlie Francis was fucking garbage. And I think that that was super negative because it wasn't until I got out of the NFL and started digging into like Joel Jameson stuff and like uh, a lot of that where I realized that the value of an aerobic system and having a well-tuned aerobic system increases mitochondrial density and it recovers you in between sets and in between reps and in between efforts so the greater aerobic system you have like it's it's your like superpower in recovery and uh, i wish i had known that earlier on mm. uh, but you know i mean we just kind of go in directions for this stuff but i feel like the internet and really just so much this information is so much more readily available than it was when i when when i was at that point i mean mm. now it's like everybody's a fucking expert with social media I always, uh, it's funny, I'll get questions from people and I like scratch my head. I'm like, dude, this is answered 4,000 times a day. Is it the fact that people don't know this or the fact that people don't trust all the information that's coming out? Do you think that uh, like uh, having an ability to <clears throat> like run, I don't know, somewhere between like one to three miles uh, could be a pretty important thing for most athletes um, with the exception of like, if the athlete really doesn't need that much movement in particular sport, um, depends on the on the on the athlete and the sport. I would think for like something like I, I don't know. I mean, let's say NFL football. Uh, I think that at least offensive linemen should be able to go and walk or do like a pretty quick pace ruck with maybe like fifty pound vest. Mm. They should probably be able to do that for one to three miles. I don't necessarily know <clears> if you know you're three hundred plus pounds if I want the pounding. Right. Uh, but, you know, the ability to go out and walk fast, especially with weight, I think mm -hmm. is really beneficial. Um, yeah. You know, all some sort of aerobic base of some kind. Yeah. Uh, I really like the echo bikes and the uh, I, I don't like the assault bikes as much because mm -hmm. of the seat. But like and also we tend to break them. Uh, mm -hmm. But that echo bike from Rogue is really well made. I think the conditioning for that, especially at the cross patterning is excellent. Right. We can really and there's no eccentric load. So we can really push mm -hmm. the conditioning because of the concentric. So I think that's a really great one. Uh, we also have, especially in this weather. Um, we have one of the true form runners mm. and I think that thing is great to like, I, I, I like going out and kind of jogging and doing some sprint stuff on that. I think, uh, I think every person needs like a certain amount of movement every day. And, um, I used to kind of think I would say it like in steps, but it's just, it's just a certain amount of, I think, physical activity, physical labor. And I think that, um, we I got a lot of trees to cut down, dude. I got, yeah. a lot, I got a lot of stuff to drag out here. Activity. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I think, um, I think sometimes I think in our society today where people have a lot of anxiety and they're uh, just super stressed, their stress is just is through the roof. 
Um, I think that so much of it can be combated. Not necessarily. I think that people always think about like working out and working out's great. Like going to a gym and going to a location and I'm going to lift weights. Um, that's great. But I think people can also just maybe think about it a little bit more like an input, you know, the way that uh, maybe an Andrew Huberman sells you on like, Hey, be a great idea. If you went outside, got some sunlight in the morning. Imagine that. Right. So, so think about, think about lifting weights and think about, um, cardiovascular training and think about um, all the strength and conditioning uh, hygiene that you want to try to implement into your life in accordance to some of the goals that you have and just look at it more like it's just a it's just an input I need to put into my body uh, and if I just go over there and pick up that heavy kettlebell um, a, a handful of times for maybe a couple sets is that good enough for for the input that I'm looking for it very well could be, you know, if it's if it's the right stress, if it's the optimal stress. Um, same thing with walking, same thing with running. But I think that uh, I think a lot of people are like afflicted in our society today because I think they simply they don't gain the habit of movement. And I think that every person is pre pre-programmed to take a certain amount of steps or have a certain amount of movement in a day. Uh, did you ever read Art Devaney's Evolutionary Fitness? I have not. Man, this is, um, so uh, I read it years ago. Like, um, man, this might've been like right around the time the movie 300 came out. Mm. Um, so, uh, God, I can't remember what I was on. Whether I was on a podcast or I was um, at a talk and they asked me like where I saw like, you know, like that there were like, do you remember a polarizing moment in fitness and training? And I do. Um, for me, uh, I was, I think I was 10 or 11 years old and I was at the, uh, there, there's something in Southern California called Junior Lifeguards. I don't know if you know what this is because mm. you're from Northern California, but, uh, and the East Coast. Um, but in Southern California, there's a deal called Junior Lifeguards. And about nine or 10 years old, you go down, they have a swim test, mm. and then you go to the beach, and it's almost like a lifeguard training program where you show up and you surf and you do, you know, run, swim, run, and there's like long distance run, run, swims, and you surf and you learn first aid. And it's all the stuff you need to basically be able to go take the lifeguard test when you're 18. Mm. So it's like a lifeguard apprentice program and right. all the kids in Southern California do it or not all the kids, but all the beach kids do it. So I did it when I was nine, 10, and it was something we looked forward to. We trained for it. We surfed for it. It was like really what kind of, you know, you used to wear your shirt all, all year round and it was, uh, uh, pretty amazing deal. Um, now that I think about it, I'm like, fuck, I still wish I had the ability to go do it. Um, I mean, junior lifeguards, but I was probably 10 or 11 and we were at the aid station learning CPR from one of the lifeguards mm -hmm. and like on the strand, uh, kind of the, the boardwalk, um, they call it the strand. There was like a whole bunch of people and noise. And like, we just like, it, it looked like a, like a, like a, like a little riot or something was happening and we couldn't figure out what it is. So we walked out and we watched and we were like, you know, what's going on? Did somebody fall this? You know, we're like, you know, think we're like, you know, junior lifeguards are going to run down there and save somebody. And then all of a sudden we saw like the seas part and it was actually a person walking. And this dude was just strolling and he was like way bigger than everybody else. He was wearing like a, a tank top and he had a gold chain and like he was wearing these short shorts. And we were like, saw this dude walking and people were just like, <gasps> like fucking gasping and dropping things. And it was like something like a Marvel character. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, Lyle Alzado walking down the strand oh, and he played for the Raiders at the time. And then we proceeded to watch him run up and down like this big, like kind of like uh, this big oh, ramp. Trying to make his comeback or whatever. Or right? no, this is while he was actively playing. Oh, so okay. this would have been like mid 80s, like 86 kind of in there. 
And uh, he looked like a fucking superhero. And I remember thinking like, I want to lift weights. And so like that was a pivotal mm. moment. And I was going through all these different pivotal moments and in my own life. And like one of them was like showing up to play, um, you know, football and realizing that like big strong dudes were in there where the weights are. And like, I didn't know what they did, but I knew that mm. they were around those big weights. So I wanted to be around those. And then like, you know, all these different points. And I remember when uh, I thought that the majority of the world, uh, their idea of training was uh, like Pilates and bullshit. Mm. So whenever we went to like commercial gyms or like, you know, I traded athletes performance or the facilities and we trained places with other athletes. And so I thought only professional athletes trained that way. And then the movie 300 came out and I remember um, I went with some people and I'm watching this movie and like, it was amazing. Like uh, it was packed with like all these like kind of 20 something, 30 something people that were all like professionals and they were watching it. We got done and I walked right across the hall and went back and watched the movie again. And like, it completely changed. Like, I remember I, I got on the internet and I was like, man, maybe like Hollywood's figured this out. Everybody's right. going to figure it out. And about that time, uh, I read Art Devaney's Evolutionary Biology. And I really think that you can't look at health and you can't look at this stuff without kind of looking at it from like through the evolutionary model. Like, you got to think, let's say, you know, and, and uh, you know, the worst thing that ever happened to the paleo diet was all the paleo weirdos, right. you know, guys in loincloths just being fucking extreme. Like if you look at the paleo diet, it's pretty much still how we eat. And it, people trying to make like a gluten-free muffin or something. Yeah. And like, men call it paleo. And you're like, come on. Like it, it just became yeah, ridiculous. It became like the butt of a joke. And if you think like you still eat a paleo diet, I eat a, I eat a paleo diet. Mm -hmm. I mean, 90% of what I eat, I yeah. like paleo diet with rice. Yeah. And, and who's to say that rice isn't paleo? Um, you know, like, oh, well, you're people. Okay. Well, like of Asian descent, like those people <laughs> right. like paleo. Uh, but I remember reading Art Devaney's deal and it was like, you need to be able to, this is how you eat. You know, you should, you know, go to sleep when the sun goes down and wake up when it comes up, you should be able to, to run and lift weights. And like, that's by far the best model I've seen. But part of it is, uh, you should be able to do endurance. You should be able to sprint. You should be able to lift heavy things. Like you should not do them in any, like, mm. you know, like you should not, not be able to do them in like a sequential order. And it was and also like, don't do them to your detriment. Yeah. You know, don't do them so much that, that it messes you up other, or that, otherwise. Yeah. That you lay down and something kills you. <laughs> yeah. But like, you should be able to do all these things. You should be able to lift something heavy. You should be able to run far. You should be able to sprint. Like if you think about it, like, okay, if I have to hunt something or I have to throw something, mm -hmm. you know, and I have to run this thing into the ground. I mean, that's what humans, that's how humans have hunted forever. Just for the fact that we have the ability to be able to go long distances as bipedals. And even though we're not as fast as other things, we can run anything into mm -hmm. the ground. I mean, that's how the original hunters did. They just ran things until they were tired. So we right. have the ability to be able to go long distances. So, I mean, humans are pretty dynamic, but what we've done is we've kind of like partitioned it. And um, even though I like lifting weights, I don't know if fitness is found just in the gym solely. And I think people are a little lost if they think that like the confines of fitness and training exist just within the confines of a gym. I think you have to get outside and do other things too. When it comes to strength, um, uh, when it comes to strength, like what are you recognizing uh, a lot of people leaning towards that are having success with uh, training people in a gym? Because I think, you know, our, our old older definition of strength was like, how much does a guy like lift? Mm -hmm. You know, what are these lifts that this guy does? And uh, that can be a little bit of a barometer to check someone's strength, but it's only like one aspect of strength. What, like with uh, a lot of what you do and your experience, like, um, what is sort of your definition of strength within some of these sports? Um, like, what does it mean to be strong almost? You know, man, that's a really interesting, that, that's an interesting question. <clears throat> 
Um, like like if we if you I, and I if you and I wrestled right now, I would feel that you're that you're strong. Yeah, but you know? what's fascinating, and this was the splinter in my mind for the majority of power athletes, really just this entire direction of this company. I was fascinated why um, I watch guys lift heavy weights in the weight room. And yet I did not feel those weights on the field. It wasn't a transfer. And I, yeah. for, so, for me, for every pound I got stronger, it was three pounds on the field. Mm. Like when I got stronger, I was able to utilize everything. And I, I couldn't figure out why the, the weight room for me was a one-to-one, if not more. And for other people, it was detriment. Like the, they got slower or sorry, they got stronger, they got slower. I got stronger, I got faster. And I never could figure out why. And so really what I've spent the last 12 plus years with Power Athlete is trying to define it, more importantly, put some training programs together Mm. to allow people to foster and develop athleticism. And I've realized that athleticism and how you move through space is really the defining feature for this. And for some people, strength becomes a bit of a detriment. But as long as you're able to develop strength in concert with power and speed and mobility and all these other key factors, I don't believe it becomes a detriment. Mm. I think strength becomes, um, you know, an interesting, like it can either become like, uh, I don't know, like kicking the doors off the hinges or a prison where I'm sure you've seen guys that are really strong, but they can't do anything. They're in tons of pain too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, I always thought that, you know, if you, the way you dis- or the way I defined power was your strength displayed dynamically. Mm. And I really have realized that there's a big kind of disconnect where people want to get strong, but they never use that strength in a dynamic nature. Mm. So then how good is it? Um, I, I watched really strong people not be able to, to do much. And I'm sure you've seen, you know, world lifting power yeah. lifters. So, um, you know, is the strength valuable for them? But also I think powerlifting is a terrible model for athleticism. You know, just moving away from point A to yeah. point B, you know, bilateral hip hinging, benching, and deadlifting, another form of hinging. Um, it's a great sh- dis- display of strength, mm. but I don't know if you can take powerlifting as a model and extrapolate that over to like, let's say football with athleticism, even though every strength coach is like, oh, I was a powerlifter. Right. And I'm like, what do powerlifters know? I mean, it, I think that the name is a little misleading. Right. Um, Louis Simmons, I think, was a, a, an innovator in that mm-hmm. uh, when we talked about it, he's like, you know, you have to be able to move from point A to point B as violently as, as possible. And I think he he trained his lifters to do that, not just be strong, but be dynamic. Mm. And so I think that there, there's a big piece for that, but I don't know, man, I, I you think um, your athleticism helped you transfer yeah. the strength better. Cause like, uh, but, but understanding the components of athleticism, yeah. um, a- athleticism has always been a really interesting, I keep using the word really, I fucking hate it. Um, it's an interesting phenomenon because you know it when you see it. It's like a pretty girl, like a pretty girl walks in the room. She might not be your type, but everybody can agree. You're like, wow, it's a really pretty girl. Just like I'm not a fan of Ferraris, but if I hear a front engine V12 Ferrari pull up, I know the sound and I'm like, wow, listen to the sound of that front engine V12 Ferraris. Even though I've seen Ferraris uh, like at the shell, I've seen them breaking down. I've seen them in shops where the welds are dog shit. I know that the mechanics and the, the fabrication isn't what it should be. Mm. But yet when you hear a front engine V12 Ferrari, you're like, wow, because the motor is tuned to such a decibel that they figured out that this decibel sound in the ear releases serotonin and basically creates this like uh, this warm feeling of like, you know, passion and to the point where they tune their motors to this exact frequency because they know it elicits a response, right? Uh, athleticism is the same way. You can watch somebody do something and you know within a minute whether or not they're, or even a moment when they're athletic. You watch Adele Beckham Jr., you know, he had that that catch where he rotated back and like broke the internet, right? It was like the greatest play in ESPN. People still talk about it. And when you saw it, you were like, wow, 
look at this amazing thing that happens. And what did he do? He was able to separate his upper body from his lower body. He was able to rotate. He was able to do something that was absolutely fantastic. But it was the first time we'd seen it. Little do we know that he had practiced that move hundreds right. of thousands of times, right? Countless amount of times. So he was able to do it when it required. But I, I believe the ability to seamlessly and effortlessly combine all those primal movement patterns through space to accomplish a known or novel task is how we define athleticism. Mm. And it's impossible to quantify, but you know it when you see it. I'm sure you've seen somebody run, and the minute that they take two or three steps, mm -hmm. you think, oh, shit, this guy's really athletic. He right. moves really well. It's really graceful. And then I'm sure you've also seen other people put their foot in the ground, take two or three steps, and you're like, oh, my God, this guy's going to kill himself. And then sometimes that person is still fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? That's interesting. Sometimes they're still able to transfer uh, some of that strength, even though they might look awkward. Yeah. Um, when I was, uh, I went down and, and hung out with David Weck at his seminar and his, uh, um, the guy that came in and did the training stuff, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was watching that guy juggle a 203 pound kettlebell and he was able to do some stuff that not only was it extremely powerful. And I know, cause I have those kettlebells. I know exactly how heavy they are, but make it look easy and effortless is an incredible display of <laughs> athleticism and power. Yeah. Like, that dude has figured something out and whether it's David's training, what he came to, uh, God-given ability, whatever it is, he's able to do some things that were pretty impressive. Mm. And I've seen other people that do some impressive things. Um, the jujitsu stuff is really fascinating for me. Um, Victor and those guys are not, when they came to me, they were not skilled in terms of like what I understood in terms of strength and conditioning because they just never been ex exposed to it. Like jumping up on a box, had never jumped on a box, had never rotated and thrown a med ball. So they'd never done these movements. So they looked awkward. But yet you put them on a mat, you put them in a gi, you ask them to do these things and these guys are the best in the world. Mm. So there was a really steep learning curve. Now all of a sudden they look pretty athletic. They move through space much better, but it was because they never had an opportunity. They were never exposed to these. I mean, what if they were exposed to it like we were when we right. were, you know, 13 years old playing football, it would be much different. Mm. Um, but yet, you know, uh, Shanji, who's our coach is an incredible athlete. Everything that he does, even new movements, he makes look very easy. Mm. So I've realized that there's kind of universal athleticism and then there's task specific athleticism. Whereas, uh, you know, I watch guys that were, might not be able to jump rope. They might not be good athletes in terms of playing basketball, but you ask them to play football and within the confines of football, they're incredibly athletic. And I've watched other guys, um, you know, uh, one of our backup quarterbacks, uh, was a scratch golfer. We went out to go play, play pickup basketball and he was shaking dudes up like he was uh, like a white Michael Jordan. <laughs> and like this guy looks like an accountant, mm. you know, so he, his athleticism extended to all of these different things. So, um, I think the grass is green wherever you water it. Mm. And if you want to develop athleticism, if you want to develop endurance, what you put effort into becomes what you're good at. Mm. So, I mean, for you, you've had a, um, you know, it's pretty interesting with whatever you're doing, you tend to have a very singular focus. Like I'm going to become good at this. Right. And you also uh, lack something or maybe, you know, I, I don't know if you lack it or you do a good job, but you also uh, don't have a fear of potentially looking like an idiot. <laughs> like you actually embrace it. Yeah. Where you're like, hey, I'm going to look like a moron. I'm fat. I'm out of shape. I'm not going to be able to do this, but it's not going to stop you. Whereas I feel like the majority of the world mm -hmm. doesn't start out of fear because I am those things. So that's, I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah, there's something about me that kind of likes getting my ass kicked a little bit. Uh, we've had, uh, you know, Stan Efferding and uh, Eric Spoto and some of these guys come through the gym before. And even when I was training at Westside and stuff, uh, 
But particularly when I was training with Eric Spoto, he broke the all-time bench press record. He did a uh, like a 733 uh, raw bench press. Jesus. And when I was training him for that and, and helping him out with that, um, he came in and, and worked out with me. I had no idea like of his strength. I've never seen the guy before. He was never on the internet that I've seen before. And, you know, it's just very, very clear that this guy is like insanely strong. His, uh, his forearms were just like massive. He, he, uh, had a long sleeve shirt on, but he, then he pushed his shirt up and I was like, holy shit. Like that's, there's probably like 20 inches of forearm right there. I've never yeah. seen anything quite like that before. And, uh, so Eric's just like, you know, repping out 225 and 315 and stuff. I'm like, that moves way different than everybody else in the group. I was like, what's, <laughs> I said, what's going on, man? What do you, what's, what's, uh, what's your strength here? You know? And he said, I can do, uh, I could do like 635 or 655 or something like that. I was like, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, I think I can get my strength up to maybe 700. And I know you, I said, do you know the all time record is like 711 or something at the time? And he's like, yeah, I, you know, I'd like to kind of work on that. And so he did a 585 for a double that day. And he did, uh, uh, he did 635 for a single. And I think on that day, like my strength was pretty good. I think it did like 565 or something like that on a raw bench, on a raw bench press. Yeah. And, uh, he was like, you know, he's like, you're the only one that ever like stayed on the bench with me. And I was like, oh, I didn't stay with you. You crushed me by a lot, you know. He's like, no. He's like, but people usually just, you know, go the other way. Like they don't even finish the workout. Sure. I was like, oh no, no, I want to learn. Like I want to get better, you know. And I don't give a fuck if you're okay. You're better than me. I I don't have any control over that. I don't I don't have 20 inch uh, forearms, you know. Yeah. Some people have some gifts, and I think you have to recognize that. And that, that's probably something you experienced uh, many times over in the NFL. Just uh, the genetic pool that the NFL has access to is just uh, completely unbelievable. There were people that could do things that I could not do. And um, I've talked about this for years on the podcast and also in every talk that it's I It's helpful to see that. Like I, I've, I've <sighs> dealt with that myself, like going and doing uh, professional wrestling for a while. Um, these people were so talented from an entertainment entertainment standpoint um you know being able to like go in the ring and, and cut a wrestling promo in 90 seconds have it be perfect and to mention all the shit that they're supposed to mention uh it's a, it's a real skill and i've seen guys like shelton benjamin and brock lesnar uh do these you you would be baffled at the incredibly uh they're they're incredibly athletic um, they're able to do like flips and shit like that where I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's actually nice for me to know that I don't have that. And it doesn't mean that I can't work towards it. And it doesn't mean that I can't make it myself. I need to figure out probably a slightly different avenue than some of the stuff they're doing. Well, um, so I've, I've talked about this for years and, and every talk, well, not every talk, but damn near every talk, but that there's, everybody has a wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. That like, and you have to establish what your wheelhouse is and you're able to train outside of it. But at the end of the day, this is your wheelhouse. This is where you live. And I think the sooner you decide who, you know, who and what and what you're you're able to do, you know, like you might not be a 700 pound raw bencher, but you're like, Hey, all my other lifts are pretty good. So I'm going to get into powerlifting. I'm going to have a consistent total. Uh, My best was 535 for a triple. Nice. Um, And, uh, but then I watched, um, a guy I play with put 550 on the bar and bench it for three reps, probably in under three seconds. <laughs> and he hadn't trained in six months. And I was like, fuck. Like, I trained my entire life mm. for a uh, 535 triple, and this dude walked in cold after not even training for six months and like crushed it. What do you think is going on with an athlete that's able to really mimic really well? You know, like if you showed me a <clears throat> drill with my feet, you said, you know, do these four things with your feet. 
Uh, it would take me a couple tries, but sometimes uh, someone who's a really gifted athlete, they'll just boom, they'll do it yeah. right away. Um, that's the NFL. Uh, you have to be able to watch somebody because I, I would say, hey, show me something on film. And if you show me what you want me to do, like, and I can watch it on film, I can go out and mimic. <laughs> you know, you need guys that are intelligent enough, but like can watch and then just replicate. Mm. And uh, that's when, you know, I was a young guy in the NFL. They kept showing me tapes of all these like six, eight, 350 pound black dudes. And I asked uh, Juan Castillo, my offensive line coach, do you have any like six foot five, 300 pound white guys, like dudes that look like me that I can watch? Because I, like, I'm not getting anything from this. Mm -hmm. And then he went and he got me a bunch of cut ups of like Jim Lachey and um, uh, Jumbo Elliott and uh, Redskin. Yeah, it was like Jumbo. It was uh, Jim Lachey, uh, Gary Zimmerman. Mm -hmm. And like he gave me like all these dudes that were about my size. I'm like, all right, vertical set this. And I was like, OK, I got that entire program. Like I can do this. Thank you for showing me somebody because you're showing me like these massive monsters that are just jump setting everybody. And like, that's not what my skill set was. So I think the sooner you figure out what your wheelhouse is and what your skill set is, and then you can improve upon that. And I knew exactly what mine was. And I wasn't out there. I mean, I played next to Will Shields, who's, mm -hmm. you know, 14 years, never missed a play, you know, first round ballot Hall of Famer, best ever do his job at right guard. And he had moves and he did things that I would never have approached. Mm. He had these like weird catfish moves where he'd like throw his shoulder, drop his arm and get himself in these positions that I would have got beat a hundred times out of a hundred. And all of a sudden he would like drop step and recover and like throw the dude to the ground. And I'd be like, how the fuck did you just do that? Mm. And while it was fun to watch, I knew that it wasn't something that I was ever going to use in my game. So I had to stick in my wheelhouse. Mm. Um, and the one fascinating thing, um, and I always told, and I, I told this to all the young guys, the sooner you figure out who you are, and then build a, a like a fortress around who you are. Like I was always going to be like a, a, like my hand speed was always better. So yeah. I always had fast hands. Right. I could always set and like I could almost like lock on to dudes and out athlete them. I was going to do that every time. Mm -hmm. I wasn't ever going to play this like little cat and mouse bullshit game. I was going to take the fight to dudes really quick and do my best to fucking like impose my will. And I used to watch. You know, these guys too, like Brian Waters, a guy I played with, he had this little move where if we were going to the right and he played left guard, he would let the guy beat him across his face because he could effectively like grab the guy by his waist and do this little shimmy move. And when he would do it, he would like pull the guy and shoot the guy back like 10 yards. Mm. So the dude would all of a sudden take a step and think he was going to make a tackle. And then Brian would do this little like kind of belly slap. And he was so strong that he would shoot the guy back like 10 yards. Mm. And I watched it and was like, I... I can't let anybody beat me across the face. Brian would let dudes beat him across his face and do this little slap move and shoot dudes back and never got beat. Mm. I tried it one time and I got beat across my face <laughs> and I'm like, I'll never do this. So I, I think it really just comes down to you figuring out. And if your superpower is the fact that, you know, I'll try anything and I won't be embarrassed because think about how many people are, you know, want to do something, but they're so fearful of like, well, how's the world going to look at me? The, you know, if I'm going to go, if I go to the gym right. and I'm out of shape, like think about how many people you've met have been like, man, I really want to go to the gym, but I better be in good shape because everybody's going to laugh me out of there. I, I've always got to look at it like uh, if you can think about where you're going to be three years from now, four years from now, five years from now. So for me, my starting point with uh, powerlifting, um, you know, I started at a very young age. Uh, and by the time powerlifting became like halfway popular, um, I was already really strong. So that was my wheelhouse. That was something I could really uh, excel in. And my story, people didn't see my story previously. I think they just probably thought I was genetically strong. And yes, the first time I lifted uh, kind of like with my friends, I was a little stronger than them. I was a little bit bigger than them. Uh, so I started down that path a little bit further. But again, it's probably something that was already like ingrained somewhere. 
uh, maybe already in my kind of wheelhouse. And then the transition into like other stuff, uh, bodybuilding, you know, I, I, I didn't have, uh, I have never been to a bodybuilding show. Didn't know much about bodybuilding, um, got help, got assistance by, you know, one of the best coaches in the world. So that was really helpful. And again, I was start, my starting point wasn't horrible. And then, so I was able to transition into that, but my starting place in running is so far back, uh, you know, behind where a lot, a lot of people that simply just uh, stayed tethered to some sort of exercise or fitness or sport. Um, I mean, there's even my friend uh, Pete Rubish, who's also a powerlifter. Uh, Pete has been running for a much shorter period of time than me. And he's already running way faster than me. Uh, but again, like, you know, he has previous experience with running, he ran in high school. He's a smaller frame guy, you know, his heaviest, his like fattest he's ever been, you know, it was like 240 pounds, yeah. you know, he's kind of ectomorphic. So as soon as he went into running, boom, he just dropped a bunch of weight. Uh, and so I think, I think it's important to like, be honest with yourself about like where it is that you're starting out. And I think that people that want to, you know, people like, like if you're a, if you're an NFL player, and you're shitty and you don't, you know, show up on time. And it's like, okay, that's super annoying. Right. But there's a lot of people that are kind of well-meaning. They're trying to do the best thing They're trying to like, you know, put their best foot forward. Um, and it's a new venture for them. And so the guy that comes in, that's new to jujitsu, you don't shit on him. No, like that's, that's a, that would be like, I think that, uh, other guys in the group would be really upset. Yeah. You know? Well, um, that's like one of the big fears that, well, well, that people are like, Oh, I'm, uh, I'm going to go in, I'm going to get my ass kicked. I'm like, well, you're supposed to. And anybody like, like for me, especially, um, if I see anybody like come to our class, who's like a 40 year old dad, who's like day one, I'm like, dude, awesome. And more importantly, just be consistent. Like it might not be fun today, but if you just keep coming, eventually you're going to get better. And, uh, I, I heard a, a great quote and I know it's super cheesy, but the difference between a white belt and the black belt is the black belt was a white belt that just kept coming mm -hmm. <laughs> like he just was like you know like uh think about how many white belts quit and that black belt dude's like what's the difference i was a white belt i just kept coming and eventually got the black belt they also say that's the hardest belt to get right is the white belt. yeah yeah like and just and, showing up and, and the one you'll, you'll have the longest is the black belt so like i uh, but then again um i have uh, a funny perception of belts and I think it comes uh, similar to like, you know, my buddy, Matt, who you met, who's a wrestler. He's like, wrestlers don't have belts. Right. Uh, you didn't wear a belt. Uh, there was no colored belts in football. <laughs> right. Right. Like boxers, I guess, only get belts at the end. So mm -hmm. like, that's an interesting piece. Like the whole belt thing was created more for the schools and to give people right. this. I mean, before it was either you were a white belt or a black belt. And the day that the guy gave you a black belt, he just retired and you became the teacher. Right. So I, I don't get wrapped up, but I, um, uh, I got tagged in, uh, there's a group on facebook it's like jujitsu over the age of 40 and somebody tagged some of our training stuff in there and so i joined and to see the amount of stress these guys put themselves on on like stripes and belts and all mm. this i'm like man that must be better just to get rid of this shit but then again they probably wouldn't do it because there would be no way for them to mark improvement whereas mm. i think about it like uh i'm real fortunate i get to go train with the best dudes in the world mm. who literally smash the best dudes in the world so it's a great indicator of like you know, if you want to be good, throw yourself in deep water. You know, if you want to run, you know, throw yourself in deep water. Like mm -hmm. you want to get into a bodybuilding show, sign up for one and hire a good coach who you don't want to let down. So I think people are, um, uh, they're afraid to throw themselves in deep waters. And I, right. I think that's the only way you learn to swim. I think it's important to try new things. And that's again, like, as I said in the beginning, I don't like to like, uh, sit still or be stuck. 
Um, I feel like if you're not moving forward, you're kind of going backwards. And so it was important for me to continue to keep trying new things, keep trying to develop uh, more as a person. You know, I was very fortunate to, you know, I think uh, having some financial freedom and having yeah. some financial security uh, was really just a huge weight off of my shoulders. Even my brother's death, my oldest brother, Mike, dying years ago, he uh, had drug addictions and he had some mental health issues as well. Um, that was uh, a huge burden kind of lifted because I was always kind of worried or concerned about what was going to happen with him. And I think when you start to remove some uh, some of those stressors from your life, you have some things that, um, you know, when you have money, just makes everything a lot more convenient. Uh, you're able to think a lot more. And I was thinking and observing and looking around when I was, you know, 33 and 34 and 35 or so. And I was wanting to learn more stuff that was definitely outside of just, you know, 10 sets of three or three sets of 10 or um, whatever the flavor of the day was with particular fitness workouts and stuff like that. So I wanted to keep evolving. And so people have mainly only seen, you know, uh, the stuff that's visible, the things I do physically, um, the powerlifting and bodybuilding and the running. But there's so many things I've been working on uh, behind the scenes for many, many years that are just things to help me evolve. So I'm not a piece of shit. So like, I can be like a, what? <laughs> uh, just uh, philosophical stuff. Uh, I'm not a huge. Uh, like what? Well, I'm not, I, I can say I'm not a huge uh, reader, okay. uh, but I listen to a lot of like YouTube stuff. Um, I listen to a lot of Jordan Peterson. Are you a big Jordan um, Peterson fan? Yes. Yeah, uh, Jim Rohn is another guy that I yeah. listen to quite a bit. Um, um, I'm on, on Jordan Peterson's deal. Yeah. Um, I, I've read both of his books or actually, yeah, I mean like uh, uh, the, you know, the 12 steps and, mm -hmm. and then um, I heard him speak when, you know, he went through his whole deal and his first talk mm -hmm. back, we went to Austin and I'm always amazed when people come out and they shit on Jordan Peterson mm -hmm. or I hear people attack him because right. I hear nothing but a uh, um, kind of really intelligent, mm -hmm. uh, compassionate man that's thought through things. And when I yeah. hear him speak, I like, I, it's nothing but genuine to me. Mm -hmm. And then when I hear people attack him, I'm like, Oh, <laughs> like that's almost like an easy way for me to draw the line on people. It's right. like, Oh, that person doesn't like Jordan Peterson. All right, I must slide them apart. Right. And just uh, looking into uh, like stoicism and philosophy and then just even questioning my own philosophy or my own, what are my own thoughts? You know, uh, what's my religion and why? Like what's, uh, do I just have the religion of my parents? You know, am I just what my parents named me? Am I just what people think of me? Like what, what am I sort of who am I? Um, it wasn't like some, you know, crazy uh, deep dive uh, that was anything like traumatic or anything, but it was just things that I was super curious about and i think yeah, i was very fortunate to have an invention the slingshot that helped propel things forward for me and and help me uh, from a financial perspective to have at least that part of my life it's like okay some of that is taken care of and now you can sit at a coffee shop and like just journal or you could wake up and decide to do uh whatever it is i wanted to do whether it was I could go into work I, or I didn't need to go into work. Uh, I could have gone and lifted. I could have gone for a walk. Um, but a lot of times I would choose just to kind of like sit and think, like, let me think, let me just go. And uh, every once in a while I would think about the business. Every once in a while I would think about um, maybe what are some blind spots in my life right now? How can I better communicate with people? Uh, you know, why did this issue happen last week? Why did we have to fire this person or why do I have so much anxiety in trying to tell someone that they're fired? You know, how, yeah, you know. firing people's never fun. Oh, it's horrible. Uh, the horrible part of did um, did you ever deal with any addiction? 
or anything uh, or like that because um i know the story of your older brother mm-hmm. and then um you know obviously i know your other brother yeah i've talked to him at great length and you know what he went through and mm-hmm. you know i mean pretty tumultuous for, yeah. for addiction both, and that yeah both of my brothers uh they got really smashed with uh addiction um and luckily my brother chris um he's uh with me up in sacramento and he's uh he's actually working on another version of bigger stronger faster right now so i'm pretty pumped about that and he's got a bunch of other projects that he's working on right now but what that did to him is that put his life on pause for a long time and it's something that he's mentioned to me before he's like you know this happened you know when i was kind of screwed up and i was dysfunctional and i was around this age and he's like, and then basically to pick up the pieces of my life, he's like, I finally feel like I'm starting to pick them back up and things are going in a good direction. Even though he's been sober for a very long time, yeah. he's been making the right choice for a very long time. He's been doing a lot of the right things. Uh, but it's um, <clears throat> it's hard to make it through those addictions, I think, without some sort of permanent damage. Yeah. And uh, I've been very fortunate to not be addicted to um drugs that negatively impact my life (laughs) however uh you know i I, there's other things i might be addicted to i might be addicted to lifting Uh, i might be addicted to exercise there are days where i might spend four hours you know i'd spend like a two an hour or two in in the gym and i'm and then right after that i go like and run and i sit there and think about that a little bit later i'm like am i like losing my mind like am i a maniac do i need to (laughs) you know what's i need to do that every day you know uh try to re-examine some of that but um, I don't know. It just feels good to be like he- heading in the, in the direction that I'm heading. And, uh, I don't feel like even though I have been on anabolic steroids for a long period of time, I don't necessarily feel that, uh, the reliance on those, um, is, is having a net negative impact on my life, especially at this point, because now, um, you know, many years ago, I abused anabolic steroids and utilized them to lift a lot of the weights that I lifted and do a lot of things I was doing. Uh, but now it's a much more responsible dosage. I don't take half the amount of stuff, um, maybe even less than that. It, it's it's just way different now. I'm on more of a therapeutic dose. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I could go. I don't know what it would look like for me to transition and to try to move away from uh, taking TRT. I don't know. Well, why would you? Yeah, I don't know what that would do other than like probably just make me feel bad and make me. No, um, I I have long since believed that, um, you know, and whether or not they uh, look at menopause or andropause, like the, you know, testosterone and the hormones that your body produces. I mean, that's what allows you to stay virile and young. So why wouldn't you kind of maximize that? Right. And like, you know, like uh, I get my blood work done uh, every two, like every six months, twice a year. Mm -hmm. And like, dude, if, uh, if things aren't looking right, like, I am more than happy to, you know, supplement micronutrients and right. I, I get all like my panels done. I was just out in Arizona, uh, flew back yesterday. That's why we're doing this today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and go out and visit my doctor, uh, Tom Ankledon at Cosenta, And he mm-hmm. does all my blood work and does all my supplements. And like, I mean, my whole thing is based on like, how do I live? Like, I'm not obsessed with the idea of living to a hundred. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, I just don't want to live to be that old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to like kick ass all the way up until the day that I'm not. And then right. end it. like, I don't like, I like we were, uh, we went out to dinner when we were in Arizona and we went in and this, like there was probably a lady who had to be in her eighties mm. and she was literally, her back was bent like a question mark. Her chest oh, was facing man. the ground and she was in this like terrible position. And like, to me, like it probably takes 10, 15, 20 years to get like that. Mm. Um, 
I don't want to be that. I want to be able to like kick doors off of hinges and be able to do everything that I want to do up until the point where then all of a sudden we expire. And I think for me, uh, lifting weights and training and like, you know, avoiding all this stuff, like that's how you kind of live your best life. Um, you know, I think that there was a, it, it always makes me laugh. I don't know if you've seen this where they show like Tom Cruise and then Wolfer Brimley from Cocoon. Yeah. We're like the same age. Oh yeah. And then they show all these different yeah, people. I've seen that yeah. And it's crazy. Like, you know, uh, you know, when we grew up, it was like 60 years old, might as well have been 300. You're right. And, uh, you know, like I remember my grandparents who were probably in their like sixties wearing like polyester and driving a Chevy Shitation. And mm-hmm. my grandmother had blue hair and like that. They like, like you look at those pictures and I'm like, are they a hundred? Yeah. And like when you calculate the ages, they were in their 60s. And now you see people in their like like uh, people today. I mean, I meet people that are in their 40s and 50s and they're super fit and they look right. young. And like, you know, you're like, wow, that's how old you are. And um, I just think that that longevity piece is what we're all searching for. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, dude, I recommend every guy over the age of like 35 get their blood work done. And if something's messed up, get it fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever uh, uh, Michael Rose? Um, Dr. Michael Rose, mm. he spoke at the ancestral health symposium the year after I did, but he gave this incredible talk on like, and people have heard me on this podcast talk about like, he gave a great, great talk on fruit flies mm. and he's an evolutionary biologist. So he's giving this talk and talking about longevity and he's got these great books and the whole time I'm looking at him, I'm like, man, this guy looks great. And then he said he got his PhD in 1959 and I'm like, what? I like Googled it and like, I saw how old he was and I'm like, oh my God, this dude looks amazing. And one of his things is, is like your greatest um, ally and your greatest enemy in aging is your perception of yourself. Mm. The person that you see in the mirror, if that person looks young and is in good shape and like looks healthy, you that will keep you young. If you look in the mirror, and I'm sure you see people all the time like, oh, I look so fat, I'm so old, and they got a big gray beard and they just look like shit. That is your perception of yourself and that ages you in dog years. So his deal is, is like, if the beard is gray, shave it off. If you're uh, overweight, mm. get in shape. I mean, all of these things, if, if, if you dress old, buy younger clothes and anything that you can do. So when you look in the mirror, you feel good about yourself. That's your best age. That's why women don't age as fast as men, mm. because women take care of themselves. They, uh, they do their hair, they wear makeup, they wear younger clothes. And that's why like, you know, my mom just turned 84 and mm-hmm. she walks, you know, 14,000 steps a day, takes no medication oh, awesome. and is super healthy. And people think she's in her sixties. You know, but then you see an 80 year old dude and he might as well be, you know, mm. fucking the crypt keeper. I think uh, we're, the, we're next in line to be grandparents, you know. Yeah. So I think uh, the next generation of grandparents will be. Is, be- is that scary? Of, for a lot you? of people will be in better shape. I mean, your son's 20 or 19. Yeah, no, that's not scary for me. I, I, uh, I think it'd be amazing whenever the hell it happens. Hopefully it happens uh, at an appropriate time, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, you know, I look forward to the stuff like that. And uh, it's part of what gets me up in the morning, not necessarily like uh, like anti-aging, but just feeling good while I'm here yeah. and feeling that I put in the effort and to uh, for me to think or for me to be the person that looks in the mirror and sees someone who's young. I need to prove to myself every day that I can do stuff that somebody uh, younger can still can do. Mm-hmm. And so that that's that's what I look at. And I you know, it's it's great to have um you know, in, in my working environment over the years, I've always tried to hire people young. Like, I, I don't want to be like old. I, I want to be kind of like up to date, you know, sure. doing my best to like try to stay on top of things sure. uh, in whatever way I can. But even like on a more uh, on a note of like uh, physical stature, even like 
uh, asking in SEMA to come on the podcast with me. You know, he's, yeah, how, did, uh, he's how did that all transpire? two inches taller? He's 15 inches. Uh, he's 15, 15 inches. <laughs> he's 15, 15 inches larger. He's uh, you can make your own thing there. He's fi- 15 years. Uh, Do you have to measure him every day? Younger. Yeah, we measure every day. Yeah, every day. But I, uh, you know, I, I wanted to bring him on the show for those reasons. How, like to, um, how to did that all come about? I just met him. Uh, I think I met him originally. Uh, I think he came to a seminar that we had at the gym. And I think I saw him like in Los Angeles or something. I can't remember the order of operations there. But uh, I think I told I was like, dude, I, I saw you in Sacramento. Like, do you live in Sacramento or whatever? And he's like, yeah, I live there. And I was like, we well, got to come and work out, you know, because he lived right in the area. So um, I think at the time he might have deadlifted around 600 or so. And um, he came in and gave him some advice. And he, of course, went backwards at first just because like it takes a minute sometimes to readjust sure. to like new form or technique. And uh, we had to kind of reduce the weight a little bit. We had we, he and I talked about it. it's like, well, let's let's pull about 90 pounds off the bar and try some of these new techniques rather than trying new techniques with 105 percent of your max, you know. And so that's what we did. And uh, he went, he quickly went from uh, that 600 pound deadlift to like a 733 deadlift. Jesus. And, you know, I, I've known the, the importance of like being around good people. I've, I've known the importance of, uh, you know, you're going to be a byproduct of some of the people that you're, you're around. Louis Simmons has a famous quote of, if you walk with the lame, you'll develop a limp. Sure. And uh, I always wanted everyone around me to be like better, faster, stronger. Um, still to this day, you know, the numbers I did in super training, uh, some of them were impressive, but I had a guy, uh, bench more than me that trained at super training, uh, had a guy who squatted more than me, uh, that trained at super training, a guy that deadlifted more than me that trained at super training. So uh, those, those are things that I have recognized as like being really valuable. And I think what some people might not realize is the value of having good people around you and people that are uh, maybe in a direction that you want to have your life head uh, head in. So if you're, you know, someone that makes, you know, 60,000 a year and you start hanging around people that make 100, probably not too long before you start to get in conversations or see habits that they have and you start to make a little bit more money and you start to or sure. maybe even ask questions and they say, "Well, this is how I, you know, started in this business and then maybe you study that and then maybe you, you know, go off in that direction." But the reverse of that is way worse. So the impact is super positive. Uh, you know, having good people around you, that's great. But having negative people around you has a worse net outcome Damn. than anything you can pretty much possibly I fathom. could not agree more, man. Being around people that are like super negative or in like a dark place. I just call it like 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 the Dementor Vortex where they just suck the life out of you and they make you not want to come do your job. And um, I, dude, I, I could not agree more. Um, yeah, no, he's a uh, he's a cool cat. Uh, how you say his name? In in Sema. In Sema. Yep. Yeah, no, he's a cool cat. I, uh, I you know who he looks like? Um, there's a show that I watched on Netflix that's called Lucifer. Uh, he looks like the um, it's it's kind of a funny spoof, man. It's a Jerry Bruckenheimer show, but it like portrays Lucifer the devil as like this like party good guy. Mm. And now he's I think made, I might have seen something. Yeah, before. it's 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 like. So in SEMA looks like the devil. No, he looks like uh, Amenadale, who's the devil's brother, who's uh, black. But he looks just like him when he walked in. I was like, because I had, uh, I was uh, watching it on the airplane. Yeah. Uh, it's like they're like 20, 30 minute, like terrible, like little throwaway, you know, TV shows on Netflix. And so I was watching him on the plane and he looks just like the brother, uh, Amenadale, who is, you know, God's favorite son, I guess. But yeah, he like walked in and I was like, you, I was going to ask him. 
I'm like, did you see the TV show Lucifer? <laughs> you look like just like the dude's brother. So, but uh, no, he's uh, it's pretty good. And I guess he's a brown belt in jits. And uh, yeah, he's having a great time. Uh, all of us are having a great time. You know, Austin is like podcasting haven. It's a jujitsu haven. Yeah. And uh, so Andrew and Ensema, uh, my two co-hosts on uh, our, our podcast, they, uh, well, Andrew just got into jujitsu recently. Oh, nice. And Ensema uh, has been into it for the last several years. So they're yeah. both like on cloud nine. They're super pumped. Yeah. No, it's working with all these, you know, top level world champions and shit like that. Yeah. No, it's uh, it, like, I don't know how Austin became kind of the hotbed for this, but, um, you know, when we moved here, it was, uh, you know, at least in this area, this was a relatively the considered the country mm. and now it's kind of exploded i think i saw the other day that it's like the 10th largest city in america now wow i don't know i'd like i i saw that and i still can't believe that so i'd have to verify it but uh no, i mean um kind of as you've recreated yourself and kind of continue to kind of evolve and metamorphosize into this i mean you've done the same thing with the podcast mm-hmm. you know you've done i mean the fact that you guys are doing three and four a week it's mm-hmm. pretty impressive uh but you know like you've had these different i mean think about it i mean you know and what you said you had uh the first iteration a couple hundred and then you've done this is now the third iteration of the podcast uh yeah it's like the second basically but um yeah the podcast is going really smooth i, I think this is interesting uh the, the world that we're in today like people uh oftentimes describe it very negatively but there's so many really cool positives yeah uh the internet yes of course there's negative stuff that comes from it but um there's so, there's so many positives to it, uh, being able to do things like this podcast um, and just being in contact with the different people that I'm in contact with. It's kind of amazing to me because it's just basically from me lifting from the time I was a kid. I just always liked it. Yeah. They're probably just like you liked football. You fell in love with football. And like, I wanted to lift fun. weights. Um, yeah. I remember I told my dad I wanted to lift weights and he told me uh, that's what idiots do. It's counting to 10 over and over again. And I remember telling him, <laughs> I think this lifting weights thing is going to be important. And uh, when I signed my new contract with the Eagles, uh, I bought him a Porsche. And I remember I slipped the keys across at dinner and I was like, lifting weights just bought you a Porsche. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, that was, uh, and I think he felt like, um, oh, he was stoked in the car, but he was a little embarrassed. The fact that he uh, was so quick to dismiss something I wanted to do as a dream. Right. I'm like, no, dad, I want to lift weights. And he's like, ah, idiots do that. So it's a big thing with my kids. Whatever they want to do, I try to support them. And even though I want them to experience everything, um, I have to realize that, you know, kids and people are, regardless of whatever pressure you put on them, are going to find their own way in this world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being able to like foster and give them opportunity is really what you do as a parent, you know. And, uh, but I, I agree with you, dude. I, I, um, I love doing the podcast. Um, you know, we had a bunch of different iterations when we first started, I was a guest of the podcast Mm -hmm. and then I became like more of a a focal member. And I think we had a different cast of four or five guys and then it kind of pared down to three and then it went to two. And then finally, I like to joke that I'm, it's the Highlander and now there's just me, which at the end of the day, I wanted to do it by myself for a long, long time. Um, I found that for a lot of times, I know you guys do them in person, which I'd love to do every single one in person. Yeah. We try to do as many as we can that way. Yeah. Dude, I will if somebody's in town and wants to do a podcast i'm happy to do it the zoom stuff i'm like a little bit at this point Mm -hmm. but we still have to do some on zoom what i found is that when you have multiple people in a room and one on zoom you end up talking over over each other and especially if there's lag and delays and like you know like you'll get on and uh, i try never to read comments but people would be like oh you know why are you talking over and then 
Yeah. It's like, dude, when you're sitting with two people and you're trying to get a third person mm-hmm. on a Zoom and trying to balance this conversation, it becomes extremely difficult. And I found it's much easier with me with one person on Zoom. But, you know, if you're sitting in a room with three or four people, it's usually a great conversation because people have the ability to pick up cues. And they know when like somebody's coming to an end and this and people understand balance. And especially when you become well skilled at it. And podcasting is a skill. I'm sure you've brought on people where you're like, holy shit, is this your first podcast? And then you come on with other people that are, you know, we've been doing it yeah, 10 plus years and you're like, smoking it, yeah. yeah, you're like, this is easy. Like, this is what we do. Um, you know, and it's just opportunity and reps. I mean, people wonder like, oh, why is Joe Rogan so good? Because he's probably done more podcasts oh, yeah. than anybody else. And he's a comic. Right. And he's got, you know, impeccable timing, which I found that every comic um, that's good has incredible timing. They know exactly what to say at the right moment. They can let things marinate. They understand how to like read a room. And that's what those guys do. And that's why he's so good at what he does. Mm -hmm. And he's naturally curious, which I find that if you're naturally curious and you ask good questions and people like your podcast, if you're a arrogant fucking asshole that just fucking preaches at people and uh you know tells the world how it is at all times like people can only listen to that shit so much and then you Mm. end up with a certain kind of segmented audience of people that are just hero worshipers yeah you know like you think about like different podcasts that you've seen where the people just preach nonstop, and you're like god damn it you sanctimonious motherfucker (laughs) shut up you know i think uh it's a it's a powerful thing to be able to podcast and have a good audience and stuff like that and i think the powerful thing that really comes out of it is creation, you know, creation of content in this case. But I think that uh, creation is a divinity that all people have. You have the ability to create something. You have the ability to make something. And I think that for people that maybe feel lost, they can go to podcasts. They can listen to Rogan. They can listen to some of these popular shows. They can listen to a Jordan Peterson and they can start to maybe question, uh, okay, I'm not in the place that I want to be. How do I, how do I move forward from here? How, do, how, what can I do? And somebody w- might say, well, you know, try to make something of yourself. And you're like, well, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. But my point is, is that everyone knows how to make something. Uh, you most likely know how to make music or, uh, you know, make something with your hands. I know you're into, uh, welding and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. I build all this shit. And, uh, that kind of making of something makes a lot of people feel really good. But I don't think that other people recognize, um, I mean, maybe you're a cook, you know, maybe like a chef, you know, you use that's that has an art feature to it, you know? Um, so there's, there's a lot of creation and I think that it's our job to be curious on stuff like that and kind of explore some of that because I think, you know, lifting weights and even running, I have found just to be really, really beneficial and helpful to my own mental health. Hmm my own just headspace uh having like listen to anything when you run yeah sometimes i'll listen to a podcast uh sometimes i'll listen to like an audio book uh and sometimes i'll just listen to music um sometimes uh sometimes i just want to run and just kind of be loose and you know uh maybe get into like a euphoric zone and if i'm in that kind of zone it's probably harder for me to listen to like a podcast or learn something at that point but Mm -hmm. i found it just so valuable over the years to uh, not only just create, but try to learn from other people on how to make stuff or how to create stuff or how to relay a message to somebody. So uh, part of my responsibility, I feel, is to continue to seek out and search like what are how do I get more answers or how do I uh, start to get some of the questions that I have about A, B or C? How do I get them answered? Where do I go? And to me, it's like a simple search on the Internet. 
then you get that information. And over time, that information uh, becomes like a meme within your body and you pass it on to other people. And how do you know that the information that you're seeking out right now might, it could potentially be something to save your life. It could be something to potentially save uh, your children's life because it could be something else that you relay to them. And I'm not talking about like something that's like a safety thing or something, but it could be the fact that you, uh, I don't know, you learn a new song on a guitar. You start to play your guitar. Maybe your six-year-old son listens to that and just hears you playing the guitar all the time now that you learned it. And when they're seven, eight, nine or whatever, maybe they want to do the same thing. You know, and you see this kind of like cascade of things like it went from your curiosity to being something that you were super interested in. You like it. You enjoy it. It has an impact on the next person. And I think I think it's great to try to do your best to try to recognize. Uh, I think that every day there's opportunity and there's always like an opportunity and a choice to love rather than to hate or rather than to uh, be mean or just set stuff, stuff off in a, in a more negative direction. There's usually a route, not always. There's usually a route where there's like a silver lining. There's usually a route where you're like, oh, maybe I should just come at this this way. You know, maybe this guy that uh, is messing around at work, maybe I, rather than like going in at him this way, maybe I need to come in kind of from the other side and say, hey man, like, everything going like how are you doing you know what i mean it's check in there and then you might start to find out some stuff where you're like oh shit okay guys dealing with a bunch of stuff that's why he was mean to the person the other day or whatever whatever the hell the situation might be but uh that's been really important in my life and to try to uh part a big reason for all this stuff over the years whether it be power lifting or whether it uh, was bodybuilding or running has been balance trying to figure out some sort of balance and within those things you get way off balance for periods of time because you can become tunnel vision in those things but i didn't even really know it but i think for a long time i've just been in search of like equanimity just some sort of peace of mind and i think that's what attracted me to running once i got to be half decent at it and it didn't kill me and i didn't feel all fat and out of breath uh once i got to that point it started to feel amazing uh, for peace of mind and for equanimity. Wow. Dude, that's a great, uh, I mean, the, um, I was going to ask, uh, the, like the natural kind of, it's kind of funny here in Austin, like people come search and like a big part of that is like psychedelics. Mm. Like, uh, everywhere we go, like in Austin, it feels like it's <laughs> ayahuasca and psychedelics and like the amount of podcast. somebody with a man bun and they're trying. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, and, and to some extent, like, um, uh, you know, like the, like the uh like the psychedelics and like all this different stuff i mean i I really think um can be used beneficially um but also like you said like exercise and putting yourself in doing these hard stuff i mean like you said you get into a euphoric state oh you you feel amazing in in the creation process like anybody knows this anybody that's ever like i mean even if you just wrote a school paper like i'm sure everybody listening has like been felt like they were on a roll with something they were writing yeah that feels amazing. Uh, I don't think we even know or understand or even look at that. We don't even we don't even give that any credit at all. Uh, but that's a euphoric feeling. That's a wonderful feeling. Uh, what about what about when you make something like you showed us at your truck? Yeah, you make something and you're like, you know what? That's fucking badass. I'm going to show uh, that to my friends. I'm ready to launch off a fucking cliff. <laughs> I I get uh, we we worked on that blue truck 
um, like for years to the point where uh, I like, I don't even want to see it anymore. I'm like, so like we, we wheeled it out of the shop, even though there's a few things I got to do. I still got to do skid plates and all this. I'd said DJ, I'm like, just wheel it the fuck out of the shop so I could see it in a different light. Cause if not, I'm going to take a bat and beat this shit to the ground. <laughs> Cause uh, I, I get real, um, uh, you're on to different things now. You yeah, got a different like skill set, different mindset. It's, um, I love it. I like it. Yeah. No, I, I like, one of the things that drives me absolutely crazy are the people that are getting ready to get ready. I'm sure you've, you've run into people where it's like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, this is the year I'm going to get in shape. This is the year I'm going to do this. And like, I'm always, yeah, like, you're like, okay, like, like you, you made a great point. Like, where do you want to be three years from now? Like three years from now, do you, do you want to be the guy that started this thing a year ago? And I think we always, mm-hmm. you know, have this feeling like, Oh, there'll be time for this. There'll be time for this. And there really isn't. Uh, you know, we're in this like such a, you know, if you think about like, you know, the entirety of the world, and this is one that kind of weirds me out a little bit, but you look at the stars and you think about how long that light took to get here mm-hmm. is just a, a, you know, a fraction of a time of our lives. Um, you know, so we're here for, you know, a good time, not a long time. So what do you want to accomplish? And I think people have all these ideas when they're young, I'm going to accomplish this, I'm going to do this. And then they get to a point where all of a sudden they haven't done and maybe that's a midlife crisis or whatnot. Um, I was very fortunate that I accomplished a lot uh, playing in the NFL and still continue to accomplish Getting a lot. Some of that done early too, yeah. I think is important. It gives you confidence. But but then again, I retired from that at 32 and, you know, and I'm now, I've, you know, adopted an entirely new life and done this. And, you know, at some point, you know, maybe in the next few years, this will evolve into something else and like continually looking for like, what is the next push on this? Mm. And uh, I think I always had this terrible feeling of like, you know, what if you're like a, a sports announcer and not to say that it's not a great job. Most guys don't make a ton of money. But uh, if money was the only, you know, outcome that people were searching for, then why is it that a lot of these billionaires kill themselves? I mean, super depressed. And, um, you know, I, I look at a lot of the guys that are on the sports deck in this and, you know, they are known for what they accomplished in their 20s. And here they are in their 50s and 60s and they're still up there. So not to say they haven't done other things, but I just wanted to go out and do something new and kind of reinvent myself and learn mm-hmm. something new. And I'm at the point where, you know, who knows what the next piece of this deal is. It's kind of like for you with these different uh, training modalities and the running stuff is uh, I... <laughs> um, I think it's incredible. I, I like. I love the fact that you haven't stayed in one place. That the evolution of you as a person has kind of gone so far, and that you always tend to bring in really interesting people on the podcast and learn from them. Um, like I said, you know, we both had David Weck on, and we were looking yeah. at some of his inventions and stuff. And it's amazing to see how much hate he gets. Mm. I didn't really realize it until he was on the podcast, and I started doing it. Like that dude gets a ton of hate. Uh, yeah. I like. I thought we had a great conversation. I like what he had to say on a lot of things. I mean, do I agree with everything? No, but I don't have to agree with everything. I actually think it's just because you don't agree with every moment of this doesn't discredit all the other stuff. I think it's great that people are, you know, people sometimes are just flat out rude, which that's not always great, but uh, it's at least entertaining. Uh, I do think it's great that people have conjecture towards the dough. Like it's like, show me, you know, you think this head over foot thing is the real thing. You think, who do you, who do you work with? Yeah. You know, who are you training or what are your results? I want to know, Show me, you know, if you're, if you're like, Hey, this diet's great. And you pull up your shirt and you got a six pack or your, your performance is where you want it to be because of your diet. Uh, tell me the numbers. Tell me the, what was your time? You know? Uh, Oh, I had this, like you can give me tons and tons and tons of examples over and over again. You gave me a handful of them today with some of the world champions and stuff that you work with. Uh, you could say, Hey, everyone that's, that's done this improved, you know, 5% here, 5% there. I saw, 
increases in hamstring strength. I saw increases in jumping power. I saw increases in, you'll be able to say all those things. And I think that uh, for David Weck, I don't know if he has a, a strong example of that yet. Yeah. He's working on it. I think he's brilliant. I think the world of him, I think he's got a lot of great concepts. Uh, but is there a person that he's taken and implemented this into uh, where it's gotten integrated and it was really clear that the guy got much better because there are coaches out there uh, as we started off the podcast saying that they are working with people and they are really having great uh, impact and great effect. And I think that David, uh, I think he's got such outstanding ideas and stuff, but I think that it's still going to be a little while before we figure out what to do with some of these things. Yeah. Look how long it took for the BOSU ball. You know, the BOSU ball had this evolution where it like, seemed kind of cool and it was like a new way to train and then it got shit on for a long time because people yeah. started like i don't know just doing weird stuff off of it well uh so i'm always amazed like if somebody on the internet or on social media wants to get a bunch of hits they shit on the boost ball um i liked it uh for push-ups yeah so when i was doing my shoulder rehab we did a lot of balance stuff and i did a ton of push-ups i still do push-ups on it constantly and, and like, if you look at the WEC deck that you yeah. have in your gym there um what does that do that domes your foot well the top of the goddamn uh, BOSU ball is domed, yeah. right? Yeah. And it, it, it's actually kind of a nice thing to stand on. And you were talking about the importance of uh, people's foot strength and yeah. things like that. Shit, get them on a BOSU ball, get them to uh, have their heel um, up, you know, off off of the rubber of the BOSU ball. And it's going to be really challenging. Their legs are going to flutter around and you're yeah. going to get some uh, good foot training. So there's a lot of stimulus that can come from some but of these things. People make their bones by... By like uh, being polarizing and creating these camps, like right. here it is, and they, you know, it's us against them. I mean, kind of like I was joking earlier about your war versus carbs, or the the war on carbs. Yeah, war on carbs. Yeah, like oh, like you know, and I I thought it was hilarious. So you're like, oh, uh, you know, if you eat carbs, you're fat and lazy, and right. uh, uh, you know, you're a piece of shit. And we were talking about you know Jay Cutler is eating a thousand grams of right. carbohydrates and he's shredded. So like you know, everything needs context. Mm -hmm. I think what you were talking about it was in the context of yourself. I'm fat. I can't eat carbs. My war is on carbs and you just do it in a blanket statement. Right. And I don't think that people understood that you're like, no, 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 I'm, I have the war on carbs. I'm declaring it. I'm yeah. declaring the war. <laughs> like, you know, like nobody should eat carbs and like you're doing it in like an ironical kind of way. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that people understand inference and sense of humor right. and all these other tricks that you were doing. And I, I believe me, I think it's, uh, it, it's hilarious. Um, I, I always got a laugh out of it, but I'm always amazed by how, riled up that people get oh, i tell yeah. my kids constantly sticks and stones might break my bones but names will never hurt me like the fact that somebody has a different idea than you and like i like I'll, we'll use david again like he came on the um, we had a, a a talk during zoom and then i invited him to come in person because i realized the experience and the conversation was not as rich as it right. should be in person so i went down and i saw him uh you know go through all of his stuff at his uh seminar that he was doing down on it but it, like we talked about, it was his, uh, you know, co-coach Chris that all of a sudden started doing some crazy shit. And I was like, yeah. yo, I was like, whatever this dude's doing, mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty fantastic. I mean, was he was, you know, juggling a 200 pound kettlebell, making it look easy. Right. You know, was using a lot of uh, David's stuff. And I, I don't know if David's stuff allowed him to do this or just he's a great example and able to demonstrate David's stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't really fucking care. Uh, I thought it was killer and I was happy to meet the dude and I was stoked that he was wearing her shirt. So, um, you know, but at the end of the day, like, are there things that I can take away? 100%. There's things that I could drop into the training. We use the boards. I liked a lot of his information. There's some things that I don't know if they apply to us, 
but I'm not going to discount them. And I'm always amazed that people like discount everything, mm. um, you know, because of one thing. Oh, he invented the uh, uh, Bosu ball. So now everything he's done is fucking worthless. Right. Um, I was going to ask you, uh, I saw a video recently of a dude benching like 1,400 pounds. Oh, yeah. They're getting up there in weight. Yeah. And the dude like before that did like 1,000 or 1,100 for mm. like 17 or 18 reps. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Jimmy Cobb, I think. Yeah, oh, my name. God. Yeah. I, I like it's got to be wacky. Uh, yeah. I mean, kind of like all of a sudden, like these guys are like, you know, fighting to bench a thousand pounds and mm-hmm. this and the dudes over there like 19 reps with 1100. Yeah, it's gotten to be insane. I, I think, uh, you know, my invention, my product, the slingshot, which is a supportive upper body device for like bench press and push ups and dips. You slide it up over the arms and uh, it uh, has some stretchy properties to it you, as you lower the weight in a bench press. Um, the elastic material stretching across your chest and it kind of works as like double muscle. So it gives you some assistance. Now, bench press shirts and powerlifting have been around for a really long time, probably since the mid to late seventies. And, uh, a bench shirt is something that will assist you with a bench press as well, but it's very difficult to get on. You usually need like multiple people to help you get into it. It's something that you have to learn. You can't just like use it right away. And so a bench, a bench shirt will add, uh, you know, two, 300 pounds sometimes onto somebody's bench press. Uh, and that's kind of what was the upper limit. And now, uh, they've taken, uh, basically something that looks like a slingshot. They've taken some of my principle and they kind of implemented, implemented it into, uh, like the old school bench shirt. So a little bit of a mix of the old school. And the so new school. they're, they're backless. They kind of they're slide backless them on like and that. it's, and it's just like a very, very strong, uh, slingshot. Wow. Which I think is kind of cool. Like some people are like, can't you sue? Or I'm like, there's, there's, no, <laughs> I'm not going to, but, uh, and, and I don't even know if I would be able to, or, or do I care? Uh, I think it's cool. I think it's like, Hey, that, that if this is some sort of contribution to the sport and people want to lift that way, then maybe, uh, it's not so bad to be part of it. Wow. No, I was uh, blown away. I mean, these guys are benching more than people squat. Right. It's, yeah. It's just, you know, these, uh, new shirts, they just have, uh, these, bouncy elastic properties but as far as i know i think that's the only guy that's doing that too so uh i don't know it seems like there's only like one or two or three people that are that strong that way i don't know if anybody else uh, uses those shirts and is seeing similar results i think this guy's out on a limb on his own yeah he's a strong dude i um I remember uh, years ago when we were out at West Side, I think I floor pressed like 500 and I think AJ floor pressed 505 or 510. Mm. And then the few days later, threw on a shirt and bench like 940. You're right. And I was like, that's a lot of carryover. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mean, and people were snapping arms and stuff like that back then, breaking their arms because the, yeah, the amount of weight that you handle, you, I mean, your muscles and bones are still involved yeah, regardless and, of. And connective tissues and bones and all that. So what's, uh, what does the future hold for Mark Bell? Just want to continue to stay in shape and stay uh, stay lean and and continue to get better at running. Um, just like uh, meathead, you know, I have a lot of meathead goals, and then uh, everything else just kind of everything else seems to kind of fall in place based off of that. Because uh, the better that I feel about myself, the easier and smoother a lot of other things go. And so, um, yeah, just I want to continue to get better at running. I would like running to. Uh, become a little bit the way the bodybuilding uh, stuff went for me because again in bodybuilding when I went to do it I think people were like ah like I don't know what he's doing but then when I actually did it and they actually saw some of it it's like okay well he actually 
you know, paid some respect to bodybuilding and actually like went all in. And I want to do the same thing with running. And it's, it's not necessarily for, uh, other people. It's for myself. I want to prove to myself that I could do this thing that, uh, I really sucked at. And I think everybody likes to kind of have a story or, or think that their story is harder. Um, you know, I, I, I did this, but under these conditions, you know, yeah. and I think, I think we all kind of feel that way, but for me, it's actually feels kind of nice because, um, in powerlifting, I was able to build myself into something, turn myself into something, uh, be able to lift certain weights and be respected when I went to some of these powerlifting meets and uh, have people like, oh, holy shit, like he's lifting today. I can't wait to watch him lift type thing. And then to progress and to, uh, you know, uh, change my mindset over a period of time, but then also regress from a uh not not so much athletic standpoint, but regress from uh, where I was as a power lifter to who I am as like a bodybuilder. I'm not a very good bodybuilder. And then to go into running where I suck even more. It feels really great. Like it, I like being a student. I'm super curious. I like learning stuff. Um, yeah, I, I'm fa I'm fascinated by other people. Like I might not really ask you a lot of questions about like welding, um, but I'm super fascinated. I might ask you a lot of questions around like what it does for you or what do you think about when you're welding or something like that? Cause I love these, uh, I love these like nuances and quirks of, uh, of humans in general. Yeah, no, I'm i uh, I'm big into skill acquisition. So I'm always constantly trying to develop new skills yeah. and sharpen new skills and whatever skill I can. I mean, you know, like you said, you were like, uh, we saw my tractor and they were like, you run this. I'm like, yeah, it's got a mulcher and it fucks shit up. And, uh, I got on and like, didn't know much about it and was like, you know what? I, if, uh, I, I always assume, uh, if idiots can do this, I can probably figure my way out as an intelligent person. <laughs> right. And, uh, I've figured out a lot and there's a lot of YouTube videos and, you know, people, if you ask them questions, a little bit of safety, uh, that's probably all right. Yeah. Yeah. Just try not to kill myself. Well, dude, uh, that was awesome. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate thanks for it. coming on power athlete radio. And, Love um, it, thank you. Uh, you know, I know you're easy to find, uh, the power cast podcast. Is that how you, um, yeah. Mark Bell's, uh, power, power, power project, power yep. project. Yeah. And then, uh, Mark smelly bell, Mark smelly bell on Instagram and everywhere else. And, uh, that's it, man. Yeah, no, I just, I appreciate the time. And, uh, like I said, I, I love to be able to have an opportunity to see people in person, see how they're doing, yeah. communicate with them, uh, doing zoom and all that stuff. Sometimes it works for a show. Yeah, but it's not the best way. But so. it's so much better to see your bro in person. Well, dude, I'm stoked that you got yep. to come. So, uh, and I'll definitely return the favor and, uh, maybe we can do something. I want to bring the guys out and, uh, do some, like maybe some oh, jit stuff. Be, awesome. and, uh, be fun. That'd be really cool. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. See you.